0: Madam Chair, room is ready.
1: Okay, thank you. Good evening. It's December 19th. Welcome to the uh, Lawrence-Douglas County Metropolitan Planning Commission meeting. Uh, Before we get started, I'm going to have Becky Pepper uh, read the rules of uh, continuing
2: hybrid meetings. Thank you very much. Good evening, everyone. My name is Becky Pepper, planning manager. Joining me here in the city commission room is Jeff Crick, planning and development services director, and Ellie Mullins will be helping to facilitate the Zoom video portion of the meeting. And we'll work alongside the chair to facilitate the meeting proceedings. Uh, First, as mentioned, I do have a few housekeeping items for this hybrid meeting. This meeting is being recorded and broadcast on the city's YouTube channel and cable channel 25. Please remember to mute yourself during the meeting when you're not speaking. The chat function for this public meeting is disabled. All chats will go directly to the Zoom facilitator. Unless you are participating during the meeting, please turn your video off. This allows the active meeting participants to be seen on screen. You will still be able to hear the meeting and when you are participating please turn your video on if you have any trouble you can send a chat to the zoom facilitator the city reserves the right to mute people or turn individual videos off to minimize distraction during the meeting and with that i will turn the meeting back over to the chair thank you Uh, next up is to
1: receive and amend or approve the minutes from november 16th do i have any amendments motion to approve so moved second second thank you we have the vote please
0: commissioner ashworth yes commissioner carpenter yes commissioner carter yes commissioner duvar yes commissioner hayden yes commissioner munch yes commissioner rexroad yes commissioner thomas yes motion passes eight to zero
1: Thank you. Next up, committee reports. Um, Do we have any reports to receive from the Lawrence Douglas County Planning Organization Policy Board? Any from the Transportation 2050 Steering Committee? All right. And the Land Development Code Update Steering Committee. Anything from that committee?
3: Yes, an update. Um, The second steering committee meeting was held on December 8th. Consultants did a high level overview of where they were in the process. They're currently still reviewing all the current code and identifying issues so they can start to work on modifying those. But they brought five questions to the steering committee for discussion. Um, what does neighborhood character mean in Lawrence? What does the steering committee need to know to think about the future of commercial and industrial business parks? How do we start to get a better coordination between historic preservation and infill redevelopment? Will it be helpful to explore adding a required neighborhood meeting prior to planning commission reviews? How does a community think about water use and development? Uh, we had some good discussions about that and they took notes. So it'll be interesting to see what they come back with. Anybody that wants to see, the full discussion you can go to the city YouTube channel and look for the December 8th Steering Committee meeting and watch it. Uh, there's a couple of upcoming meetings before we're back. December 22nd at 1:30 to 3 o'clock at Riverfront Plaza, or virtually, you can engage in a rural area roundtable discussion. Uh, this was a holdover from the first flurry of meetings where it was scheduled at the same time as another group. So they decided to hold this at a future time and this is it. Public meetings are going to start in January, sometime around the 25th to 27th. You can go to the city website, go to the planning department. There's a box up at the top just for this purpose, which will keep you up to date on when meetings are so... Everybody out there, it's your chance to get involved. So please do so.
1: Thank you. All right, communications. Do we have any written communications we need to receive from the public?
0: All communications were part of your packet this evening.
1: Thank you. Any written communications from staff, planning commissioners, or other commissioners?
0: None this evening.
1: Do we need to receive any written action or of waiver requests or determinations made by the city engineer? No. Okay. Disclosure of ex parte communications. I will disclose that I've had conversations about item number three with Lori Shuck, who is online tonight, and her comments um, were sent via an email to all the commissioners.
4: I was sent oh. an email, and it's all that information. In in okay. Yes.
1: All right. Uh, now, this is a point where we go come to, um, oh, sorry, declaration of abstentions this evening for many commissioners. Oh, yes. Commissioner Munch.
5: Thank you, Chair. I I would like to state that I intend to uh, abstain from discussion around item number three on the agenda tonight.
1: Okay. We have that noted. Thank you. Uh, Now is the uh, point where we have general public comment. So this is anybody who would like to speak to an issue uh, before the Planning Commission that doesn't involve, is is not on the agenda tonight. So anything that's not on the agenda tonight, does anybody have any public comment they wish to speak to or come up to the podium for? Anybody online or general public comment? Okay, seeing none, we will move on to our regular agenda. Um, so our first item tonight is to consider a, a rezoning request for 10 acres at 316 East 900 Road. Staff presenting this particular this project is Mary Miller.
6: Good evening commissioners, and I'll just share my board real quick. As you mentioned, this is a rezoning request for approximately 10 acres located at 316 East 900 Road. This is the former Marion Springs Elementary School. And the request is to rezone it from the Ag 2 Transitional Agricultural District to the GB General Business District. The subject property is located in Southern Douglas County. It's in the Northeast corner of the intersection of North 300 Road, which is also Highway 56, and East 900 Road, which is also County Route 1039. Baldwin City is directly to the east, but this property lies well west of that uh, three-mile planning radius, which is shown in blue, and it is about three miles north of the Franklin County, um, County line. The subject property was developed in 1957 with the Marion Springs Elementary School. A conditional use permit was approved in 2018 for an event center at the site as the elementary school had been vacant for several years. The structure was then listed with the National Register of Historic Places. The owners plan to sell the property and no longer plan to live there or operate an event center. The applicant is proposing to repurpose the building as a machine shop, which would be classified as small scale industrial use and office uses. And the graphic on the right shows the layout. There are no physical changes being proposed to the site. However, this is the concept plan that's being proposed, the impetus for this rezoning. Uh, It could be that if this project doesn't move forward, a different project could be proposed, but this is uh, what the applicant is intending. No physical changes to the building or the site, uh, but interior to the building, they would be changing the gymnasium to the machine shop, and then the classrooms would be converted to office uses. The machine shop use could be accomplished with the current zoning with a conditional use permit, but the office uses require rezoning to the general business district. So with all rezoning requests, we review them with the review criteria, the zoning regulations, which include the golden factors. And the um, first one we look at is whether the zoning and land use is compatible with the existing zoning and land use in the nearby area. The zoning in this area is predominantly agricultural. Excuse me. We have Ag1 for agricultural, and then Ag2 are smaller parcels of that's transitional agriculture. These are parcels that would be less suitable for agriculture due to their smaller size, and some of these are developed with non-agricultural uses. We have the school on the subject property, and then to the south of North 300 Road, we have a church. And then we have the general business district at the intersection. And this zoning was placed um, in place with the original adoption of zoning in the rural portions of the county in 1966. A few years ago, a seed warehouse was constructed in the very corner, but the other two lots contain residential uses. The proposed GB zoning is consistent with the zoning to the south, And the proposed rezoning and proposed use of the land would be compatible with the surrounding uses and zoning with proper site plan review to ensure that any negative impacts would be minimized to the residences to the south we always look at the character of the area what impact would this rezoning or land use have on the character of the area and we normally look at an area about one mile from the subject property which is outlined here in green Uh, The red dots are the general location of residences based on our GIS maps, and the purple are the non-residential uses in the area. As you can see, the area is predominantly agricultural with a mix of pasture land and row crops. Uh, We have residences throughout the area, primarily along the roadways. Um, At the north portion, we have a church, and then, as I mentioned, south of North 300 Road, we have the church. There's a seed warehouse, and then there is a school building. Uh, We have higher classification roadways cutting through this area. Um, Highway 56 cuts through it east and west. And then East 900 Road or County Route 1039 cuts through it north and south. North of North 300 Road this is a minor arterial and south it's a major collector. This is appropriate location for higher intensity uses given the proximity of the higher classification roads as the building is listed on the national register of historic places any physical changes that are proposed to the building um, will be reviewed by the kansas state historical society and this listing provides protection for the character of the area as any future changes proposed to the building or site would be reviewed to the site plan process and then also to the site historical state historical society another review factor we look at is is the uh, proposal in conformance with the comprehensive plan. And the first two action steps listed here are taken from Chapter 3, uh, the commercial chapter. Um, it encourages redevelopment and limited expansion of existing commercial areas in unincorporated Douglas County on hard surface roads. And uh, that existing commercial areas at the intersection of a hard surface county route and designated highway may expand if utilities and infrastructure are available, and if the expansion is compatible in scale with surrounding uses. And then the third action step listed here is from chapter five, economic development, where Trust recommends that we support and grow small to medium-sized businesses throughout our community. And the applicant noted that he sees this as an incubator type business for startup or small businesses offices and machine shops. So this proposal is in conformance with recommendations in the comprehensive plan. Uh, We look at whether, what is the suitability of the property to the uses to which it's currently restricted with the Ag 2 zoning. It is not well suited for agriculture since it's been developed with a school. However, it may be well suited to some uses which are allowed with conditional use permits. It would be well suited to uses permitted in the general business district. The property is not vacant. It was developed in 1957 with the school. Um, No detrimental impacts uh, are anticipated from the uses permitted in the GB District, given the location of the property near the highway. And the fact that rezoning uh, would be an expansion of an existing general business district in the area. Also, any changes to the structure or site would require site plan review and approval by the Board of County Commissioners, and any changes to the structure would require review by the State Historical Society. And as there would be no detrimental impacts, um, no gain to the public was identified that would result from the denial of the request. We are to look at whether or not there would be an impact on environmentally sensitive lands. Uh, the property contains prime farmland. It's this shown as. prime farmland, which is classified in the zoning regulations as an environmentally sensitive land. And prime farmland is intended to be protected so that high quality agricultural land or potentially productive agricultural land could be maintained. However, as this is developed property that has not been used for agriculture since 1957, the preservation of prime farmland would not serve its intended purpose in this case. So the review criteria have been met with the exception that there would be an impact on environmentally sensitive lands if a future project came through that it proposed an expansion to the building or other site changes. Now staff recommends that the commission forward this rezoning to the Board of County Commissioners with a recommendation for approval based on the findings listed in the staff report. I believe the applicant is present today and I'd be happy to answer questions if you have any for me.
1: Thank you. Yes, the applicant today is Greg Rader of Axiom Partners. He is the online or in person? Oh, there you go. If you just come up to the, if you have any wor- words to add about the, well, sure. the project. I mm-hmm.
7: I don't do a much more thorough job, job than Mary did. Um, but um, I don't know if there. are uh, my partner and I started a small machine shop business in Baldwin um, three and a half years ago. And our main issue has been, uh, it has flourished, but we've outgrown our space. And um, uh, there is a real dearth of available commercial space in Baldwin. Like we've been looking for two years to try and find a space and it, it just doesn't exist. And uh, we're actually, it's important to anyone here, um, we have a lot of innate affection for Marion Springs. Um, JD and all three of his brothers went there. His dad went there. My kids went there. My wife was a room mom there for years. We loved the building always did. Um, and it's important to note, like the Vessies, the current owners didn't list it. We came to them because, um, it seemed like an appropriate space. It's big enough. It's well-constructed. It's government construction. Um, and, uh, the simple fact is we love the building. Um, we have a a lot of, you know, there's a lot of, uh, nostalgia for it. Um, it's an appropriately sized space it's on blacktop. It has everything we need to expand the machine shop business, but we have every intention of maintaining its historic character. And, um, I don't know, it was after we saw, um, I visited a, bit, a business over at, I believe it's 8th in Pennsylvania, Pennsylvania, um, where there are a lot of different, uh, it's a business incubator, that, that office space over there. And it kind of made a, a light bulb come on And that there's nothing Trent in Baldwin. And, um, and we've been trying and very, very little anyway. And it has a commercial kitchen. It has ADA compliant bathrooms. It has three different access and ingress points. And the gym is almost perfectly segregated from the rest of the building. So our vision is to put the machinery equipment in the gym side and and operate it, um, you know, as the machine shop business, but be able to have an office rental. Uh, I mean, there are eight classrooms at 900 square feet a piece. They're almost perfect office spaces. And so, um, our thought was, you know, emerging businesses, frankly, who can't afford a large commercial mm-hmm. space uh, w- could find, I mean, we have eight perfect slots that can function in conjunction and help pay the rent uh, or pay, pay the mortgage on the building. But um, it's about as simple as that. We, uh, we don't really intend to make, um, uh, in fact, if anything, uh, uh, you know, we, we'd like to keep it just like it was when our kids went to school there or when we went to school there, but um, um It's the gym itself is already more, more space than we need. And uh, nearly 15,000 square feet with all the classrooms, we just don't have an application, you know, for that much space. So it just kind of seemed like a natural, a natural combination of mixed use industrial and and office and the way it's zoned now it doesn't work.
1: Thank you. That's, That's very helpful. Thank you. Uh, now is uh we put it out to public comment on this project um public has three minutes to comment on each um each three minutes each to comment on a public comment on each item is there anyone in the room who wishes to comment on this particular project yes if you just come up to the podium and state your name
8: name's charles Jaley. We board the property on the north, boarded it to the east. I've known J.D. here all as, as kids. I went to school there, too. This is a great project. I'm glad to see the Planning Commission supporting this. Uh, we need to see more business starting. We need more b- revenue on the tax rolls. That's not good for you guys, but... <laughs> But, I mean, it helps us out in, in ag land out here. It's a, it's, it's a perfect combination. They got three-phase power down there. You got rural water down there. You got blacktop roads plus a highway. I think it's a home run for somebody to get a business started here. And like I said, this could possibly be, look like the Finland airport expansion that's going on down there in Douglas County uh McFarland aviation if any of you are very familiar with that I'm not saying these boys maybe get to that point but (laughs) just think this could be another deal like that and that's a home run for this county I mean we need to encourage business in this county more than anything else we don't need more rules out there we just need some encouragement thank Thank you. you
1: are there other people who wish to speak on this project in the room before I look online, anybody online wish to speak to this project? I okay, seeing none. um Don't the applicant response? I think the applicant has already spoken, so I don't think there needs to be any response. uh Back to the di- commission for discussion.
4: Got a handful of questions. So I get us started. You're you're all right, <clears throat> Commissioner. Does, does anyone know why this school is on the historic register? I, I drove out there. I, yes. I couldn't. Yes.
9: i Mary Bessie. Yeah, come it, up to it, the podium. Okay.
1: Okay. Yes, um, I'm Mary Bessie. Thank you. Um, I, I When we first owned the building, the county was doing the historic survey
10: in the area, and one of the historians approached us as a viable candidate uh, for the building to become on the register.
11: And its main uh, criteria for meeting the historic register was its architectural significance okay. and the,
10: just the historic significance of all the wonderful families and people
12: that
4: have gone to school there all right thank you mm-hmm. thank you yeah. example of
7: a classic mid-century modern architecture If yeah. you went to grade school it, uh,
1: you, if you're going to you oh. you do need so people at home and non-zoom can hear you and um,
7: I don't Thank know you. about anybody else, but mm-hmm. if you went to grade school mm-hmm. in the 60s, 70s or 80s, you went to this school.
4: It looked like yeah. a classic 1960s uh, grade much. school. Yeah,
7: File floors, brick walls. And uh, it, um, I think most of us went to a school like mm-hmm. that and they're kind of disappearing. So, so
4: while you're here, if you would stay up, just a couple quick questions for you. Um, what type of machine work do you do? What type of machine work do you expect you're going to be doing the building? What type of machinery, that type of thing?
13: I'm JD Flory. I'm the one who actually runs the machine shop. Right. Um, right now I'm in heavy in like food industry, dog food industry. Um, I make components for customers, stainless
4: steel stuff,
13: a lot of stainless steel, yep. a lot of steel. Also just plain carbon steel, um, custom mobile in Baldwin city that builds forklifts. I make parts for them. Um, some big, Companies you'll be familiar with, like Smuckers. Um yeah, Pika. Yeah. I make a lot of parts for them. They're one of my largest customers. Mm-hmm. Um, I've gotten some aviation work, um, Eurotech, which is uh based here in Lawrence. They had a big place in uh <clears throat> Eudora, but they've recently built a big new hangar up there at the airport. I'd make some parts cool. for those guys. Um it's CNC machines, so okay.
4: Not just mills and drills, but
13: it's okay. yeah, it's uh five axis machines.
4: So a million years ago, I used to work in a machine shop. And one thing I remember was the, uh, there's quite a little bit of scrap that comes from that oil and lubricants are probably my, my largest question is how do you, how do you think about managing the disposal of those things that are, I think, arguably incompatible with prime farm ground? What's what's your,
13: how do you keep it safe? It was pretty easy. Um, so the, the coolant we use on in the machines mm. is actually like 93% watered with 7% emulsified oil. There is tramp oil that comes off, and we skim that off, and we put it in totes. And there's a company called Safety Clean out of Kansas City. They come out with a big vacuum truck. They suck it out, and they charge you a bunch of money to dispose of it. <laughs> um, that's how I do it. It's how I've always done it it works great other than that. that's
4: how you can operate in the downtown area right now without right. being a problem I mean, it's gotcha you, we, can eat, you
7: can eat off the floor yeah now. i'm
13: pretty big on cleanliness it's a little bit of how i work it has to be clean and organized but as far as chip disposal i recycle as much as i can um there's a guy out of kansas city that comes down with a box truck uh, he brings you barrels or totes and you fill them up when you get them all full, he comes down, he weighs them right there in the truck, and cuts you a check. So any aluminum, stainless, and then we have a big roll-off dumpster that we put all of our scrap steel in because there's just a lot of scrap yeah. when you're dealing
14: with yeah, stuff. yeah, yeah.
13: But again, it's just a it's just a roll-off dumpster that sits out there, and when it's full, the roll-off truck comes and gets it and disposes of it. And usually, I get a awesome. four or five hundred dollar check for that. So
4: awesome. Very cool. Thank you.
14: Yep.
3: Oh, please don't go away. <laughs> <laughs> oh, come on, Becca. I'm just wondering. Uh, I'm also pretty familiar with machine shots. My father was a machinist for 47 years for a big steel company. So I'd actually been in the big steel company. But cool. I know you're nothing like that scale <laughs> and that much noise. But my question is just about the noise from some of the large machines. Um, how do you dampen the noise from escaping a building?
13: Or well, it's right now I have five CNC machines and a thirty by forty, I believe. It's pretty tight packed. It's heavily insulated, but not like anything special. The building I'm in now was built in the seventies. It's in Baldwin next to the old Hoisco building. Um it's nothing special but you can literally walk outside and you won't hear anything. Um, they're not loud. They don't make much noise. Most
7: people in Baldwin don't even know we're operating. Yeah. They're right on. Oh, that's excellent. The subway.
13: There's, there's house residences like 40 feet out my back door across the alley and then a hundred feet to the east of me. They've never said a word. I like, I don't even think they know I'm there. Um, the only thing that would ever make noise is the forklift when I'm unloading a truck. But other than that, nobody will ever hear me.
3: Or you drop something. <laughs> <laughs> Try not I... to do that.
15: <laughs> Thank you. Yeah, uh, we uh, visited the location, and I think there's another business to the south of the property, and I think this business would fit very well with that area. And I think it's it's a great idea, great project. So.
9: Other commissioners? Just pile on to... Questions, comments. Yeah. I, have a, I have a question for staff.
3: Um, because of the historic designation, I mean, the request is to rezone 10 acres to general business. What's the impact on this designation on what can and cannot happen on the remaining acreage that's within this person?
6: On the remaining acreage? Or you mean the acreage that does not have a school on it?
3: Right. How far out does the designation go? What else could end up going there with uh, general business classification?
6: I uh, I believe anything on the property that requires a permit would have to be reviewed by the State Historical Society. So if they were wanting to build another building on that property, we I don't believe there's any environment. So... But as long as it's on the same parcel, I think they would have to review that
0: there's a there's a differential between uses and structures in the way that the code works so it wouldn't necessarily look at a review of a use particularly it would be more concerned about how the structure is being maintained and evolved so uses can come and go but as long as the structure still meets the criteria for registered on the state registry it would it would remain on the register so to to give you a great example was if, if this building was to be landmarked and then converted into a grocery store then this building would still be landmark. It would just be able to change uses over time to keep competitive at the market. Although I would maybe not recommend this building turning into a grocery store. It may not have the square footages for it, but just as an example,
3: probably too many windows too. Uh, maybe so. <laughs> I just wanted to check on that because you know this this does offer the, the opportunity to expand other structures. Probably not to add on to this one, but to have other outbuildings so i guess with the designation it would be mostly about the exterior design so it fits in with the mid-century idea is that correct
0: correct that's my understanding is it was designated for its architectural integrity at that point so while you can still do some additions and alterations to the structure the state historic preservation office would be able to give you guidance on what that would look like before jeopardizing that that register nomination so Having done a few of these projects in the past, I can tell you you can do some additions and some alterations and still be in the good graces of the nomination and be okay. Just, there's a matter of just talking to Shippo first to find out how far you can go is is the key in the instance.
3: Thank you. I'm really encouraged by the creative reuse of the building and keeping the integrity. I, I think it looks like a good fit for where it is, and especially with the old designations for what was wanted right at that intersection, just just expands on that.
1: Anybody else? I agree. This is a very creative reuse, an existing building, and apparently much needed.
4: <laughs> I think it looks like so, a great project. I'm certainly in support.
1: Shall we entertain a motion then?
4: I'd be happy to help with that. Okay i move we approve the request to rezone z-22-00350 approximately 10 acres at 316 east 19th road from ag2 to gb general business district and forward to the board of county commissioners with a recommendation for approval based on the findings presented in the staff report i
1: have a second second commissioner hayden thank you any further discussion jeff could you call the vote then
0: commissioner ashworth yes commissioner carpenter yes Commissioner Carter? Yes. Commissioner Duvor? Yes. Commissioner Hayden? Yes. Commissioner Munch? Yes. Commissioner Rexrode? Yes. Commissioner Thomas? Yes. Motion passes eight to zero.
1: Thank you all. Now we're moving on to item number two, which is another rezoning request for 11.49 acres located on the 1700 block of East 902 road um, from clustered preservation to light industrial and Mary Miller is our staff person again for this project.
9: Mary Miller city county planner and I'll again share my screen.
6: And this rezoning request is for approximately 11 and a half acres in the 1700 block of East 902 road. Uh, The request is to rezone from the CP or Clustered Preservation District, which is the rural residential district to LI Light Industrial. The subject property is located northwest of the city of Lawrence It's just northwest of the Rock Chalk Park area. It is not adjacent to the city limits, but it is within tier two of the urban growth area. This property was included in an annexation request with adjacent properties. However, the annexation request did not move forward due to difficulties in providing sanitary sewer to portions of the properties. A comprehensive plan amendment, which accompanied the annexation request was approved. And this amendment revised some of the land use recommendations for this this subject property. Due to the proximity of Highway K-10, and the Evergy substation to the east, which had an approved conditional use permit for a significant expansion, the land use recommendations for the subject property was revised to allow office research type uses. And a mini storage facility was included as a permitted use in this category. As the annexation request did not move forward, the subject property was platted, so it would be eligible for a building permit. And that is because they sold this small strip to the east to Evergy to a uh, accommodate their expansion and a conditional use permit for a mini storage facility was submitted and approved since it did not require city services these plans are from the formerly approved uh, conditional use permit which are being used as a concept plan as the overall development being proposed is the same Uh, the driveway to the facility is located on the south part of this um, kind
2: of a
6: leg of the property this is also a westar easement where transmission lines are located and then the mini storage facility is located to the south of those Uh, this would be somewhat something of a buffer to the residential uses and office uses that the long-range plan recommends to the north the property is located adjacent to the k-10 highway in the southwest corner and a portion would be within the SLT k Transportation Corridor Overlay District. This is an urban zoning district, so it doesn't apply now that the property's outside the city limits. But since annexation will probably occur in the somewhat near future, um, it'd be important to go ahead and look at the standards so that uh, the standards that are required for this district um, are applied now they'd be in place when it does annex. And this overlay district requires that buildings and parking areas be set back 50 feet from the highway right of way. And it has additional landscaping requirements for that 50 foot area to provide a aesthetic appearance from the highway. And so this conditional use permit plan was evaluated for compliance with these requirements and any future site plan uh, would be as well. So I'll go through the review criteria for this. The first is a compatibility with the existing zoning and land use. As you can see, the primary zoning in this area is CP or clustered preservation. Um, That's the residential district, which is um, to be expected since this is in very close proximity to the city limits of Lawrence. The subject property, was rezoned to CP when the zoning regulations were adopted in 2020 in air. Uh, this was a platted piece of property and the parameters we set for automatic conversions was that any platted property that was zoned A or A1 in the urban growth area, or that any land that was divided through a certificate of survey would automatically convert to the CP or cluster preservation district. And we had not um, taken into consideration that we had this property that was platted and had an approved CUP for a mini storage facility, which is not permitted in the CP district. And so this uh, rezoning converted in air, it should have been converted to, we should have intentionally rezoned it to the LI district in 2020 when the zoning regulations changed. So this rezoning would, would update that to the correct zoning district. Um, The mini storage facility was not constructed, but the site was graded and a retaining wall was constructed for the facility. And the use would be compatible with the electrical substation to the east. And uh, with the proposed buffering area, would be compatible with the future residential or office uses that the plan recommends to the north. And then, as I mentioned earlier, this traffic overlay district uh, would provide for a landscape buffer area uh, to ensure an appropriate view from the highway. Uh, Principal uses in the area are utility and agriculture with rural residences. The proposed rezoning um, with the use restrictions that are proposed in the staff report would be compatible with zoning and land uses in the area. And while the long-range plan recommends office research uses and the uses they recommend are permitted in the Light Industrial District, the Light Industrial District permits a range of other uses, higher intensity uses, which would not be appropriate in this location. And I'll go through those in more detail later, but staff is recommending a condition that with this rezoning, only those uses that are recommended in the long range plan for office research uses would be allowed. So it limits not everything that would be allowed in the LI district would be permitted, just those that are recommended in the long range plan. The character of the area, this is a very mixed use area. A portion of it is within the city limits of Lawrence. The rest is um, the urban area. We have Interstate 70 to the north and Kansas Highway K-10, cutting the property north and south. Uh, the rural land uses are primarily rural residential, woodlands, agriculture, and then their utility. Urban land consists of um, city parks. We have the Rock Chalk Park, and this contains a KU Sports facility below that. Uh, we have the Sport Pavilion, a city recreation center. We have the Future City Park up to the northwest. And then we have um, the Mercado, a commercial development that's undergoing development now. And we have multi-dwelling and single dwelling residential neighborhoods. There's considerable open space in the area with the Baldwin Creek floodplain and riparian corridor. The proposed light industrial zoning with the proposed use restrictions would be compatible and would maintain the character of the area. Uh, we look at whether or not the rezoning is in conformance with the comprehensive plan of the area plan and um, the industrial section of the comprehensive plan has a list of locational criteria and this plan meets those all however the comprehensive plan also recommends that high quality soils class one and two soils be protected and the department of agriculture web soil survey shows class two soils on approximately half of the property as the property is currently zoned for residential uses and was previously graded with a formally approved conditional use permit for many storage facility and is recommended in the long range plan for our area for office research uses. Uh, the preservation of class two soils uh, is less important in this location than in other rural areas. And due to the type of development that's already occurred may not be possible. Uh, the proposed rezoning is in compliance with the recommendations in the comprehensive plan for industrial sites with the exception of protecting class two soils. Of the compliance of the area plan, this use is a recommended use. The use of proposing the mini storage is a recommended use in the area plan, and it is permitted in the light industrial district. The area plan recommends a very limited range of uses. It recommends light storage and distribution uses, research facilities, limited or technological production, and office uses. The LI district, as I mentioned earlier, permits several uses which are not recommended in the area plan, and many of these are much more intensive. So staff recommends conditioning the zoning so that only uses listed for the office research classification in the K-10 and Farmers Turnpike Plan and any amendments to the plan would be permitted. Uh, We look at the suitability of the property to the uses which are allowed in the current zoning. Uh, The CP district basically allows residential uses with very minor other uses. Um, The district is intended to protect Uh, residential development and and as this area was not designed or planned for residential uses the cp zoning is inaccurate it would not be appropriate to develop residential on this property it has the transmission lines to the north the substation to the east and the highway to the west Um, It is better suited to the uses that are permitted with the Light Industrial District. A development that is possible prior to annexation may be limited, though, as city services are not ready to be extended to this property. However, the property is well suited to those uses which do not require extensive utility service, such as a mini storage facility. Um, The property has never been developed, but it was graded and a retaining wall was installed with the 2017 CUP in preparation for the mini storage Uh, What would be the detrimental impacts of rezoning? Uh, With the condition limiting the uses to those recommended in the area plan, no detrimental impacts are anticipated, and therefore there'd be no gain to the public from the denial. And then finally, that last criteria, the impact on environmentally sensitive lands, Uh, the subject property is completely shown as prime farmland. Uh, but this was rezoned to the clustered preservation district in 2020, which is our rural residential district. Uh, The property was graded, a retention wall was installed, and therefore some of the features which contribute to the classification of prime farmland may have been altered. The web soil survey is not updated with individual developments, so it remains shown as prime farmland, just as the K-10 highway is. There may not be any prime farmland remaining on the property to be protected. However, if there is, this rezoning and development may utilize that prime farmland. So again, the um, review criteria are met except that environmentally sensitive lands, the prime farmland may be utilized with this development. Staff recommends that the commission forward this rezoning to the Board of County Commissioners um, with the condition that's being recommended uh, for approval based on the findings listed in the staff report. I believe the applicant is present and I'm happy to answer questions if you have any.
1: Thank you. I believe I saw the applicant, David um, Hamby, BG Consultants, online.
5: Yeah, this is David Hamby with BG Consultants. Appreciate your time. Appreciate staff's work on this. Uh, as Mary mentioned, it's uh, kind of straightforward when we found out that it had been zoned CP. We wanted to get that straightened out. So um, LI is the appropriate district, and I'd be happy to answer your questions you might have.
1: Thank you. Uh, Now for public comment on this particular item. Is there any public comment um, here present in the room? Seeing none, I'll look online. Is there anybody wishing to speak on this project that is on the Zoom call?
9: Seeing none, I'll bring it back to the commission for discussion. I have a question.
15: Yes. So uh the road leading up to the location um is not in great shape is the is a road improvement a condition before the project starts? Cuz I know I noticed I noted that there's a there there is uh road improvement is mentioned in the project is that something that will happen as a prerequisite? Is that a question for staff or for yeah. the applicant mary do you, do you know mary
6: yes yeah, so that was a condition with the conditional use permit and so when a if a site plan is um submitted for this normally that would occur when the property is platted be if it was platted in the city we do public improvement plans and have the road improved however that was um deferred to allow the, the road to be tied to the development of the mini storage facility. And so if a site plan came forward, then the traffic impact study would illustrate that those improvements are needed.
15: Okay, thank you. And, and a question on the buffering. What what kind of buffering uh, are we thinking? And is it going to, so if you're on K10, is it going to, are you going to see the storage units? Mary, do you know or what's...
6: Well, the, uh, the overlay district requires uh, more intensive landscaping, more trees and shrubs than normal. You may still be able to see it. You may It may not just be a screen of uh, trees, but it should be enough to buffer it and minimize the appearance.
16: Okay, you
6: know, That way it's more interesting than just driving through a corridor of trees. So that's where the buffering along the transportation corridor overlay district would be. Um, it, it's just much more than we require with our street trees. I see, and so we right. you. So just to pile on to Go ahead. Um, commissioner Doer, um as
4: i I don't have any objection um to storage units per se, but uh, uh where these are is the gateway to our city coming in on k ten um i and i that so the question of buffering, I'm not sure if there's anything we can say or do at this particular point <coughs> that would assure that the idea of, of how that's buffered for K-10 traffic coming in considers or, or takes into consideration the fact that that's the first view that people have when they approach our city. Um, I love that you drive around that corner and you see Brock Chalk Park and you see, L- see LMH. Um, again, I don't, I'm don't. i not trying to speak against uh, storage units. Or, they're great, I guess, but gosh, I'd just really personally rather not, not be the first thing I see as I, I pull into town. So is there a way, Mary, as we think about this, that, that we can talk about with the applicant on how buffering's done to um, have it uh, um, fit into the way uh, the, the area looks today?
6: Um, I believe you could make that a, a discussion and a recommendation that we would include. Uh, we do try, you know, if you drive down K10 around the south side of the city, we have the apartments and they also have that landscaping buffer. That's not quite as a, it's not grown yet. So you can't see the effect of it, but you could recommend, like you said, since this is the first thing you see coming in that you would like more intensive landscaping. And that could be something because in the rural, you know, we're just trying to apply the city requirements to this, but we also have the rural landscaping requirements, which is very general. It says that our landscaping has to be a harmonious appearance. So we have a lot of latitude with what kind of landscaping we require in the rural area. So if you wanted to recommend that we make sure we beef up the landscaping, maybe not to completely obscure it, to make it, to make it attractive so that it's.
0: Gotcha. I think is it's also,
6: something...
0: I think it's important to note this is a rezoning and not a conditional use permit. So your ability to handle certain things is not the same as it would be under a conditional use permit. So it's yeah. a review of the zoning in totality there. There are other development processes that would follow on where that may be more applicable as a condition than necessarily the zoning is part of the case.
4: Can Mr. Hamby give us a pinky promise that <laughs> when it gets to that point that...
3: Uh... I mean, Jeff, this is our input into the site planning process of what we would prefer to see. Right.
0: You you can give input on on that as detail going forward, but I think it's important to draw a distinction between the action of a rezoning versus what the what is possible under your purview for the review. So I just wanted to highlight that differential for you. Thank you.
3: I just have to say I'm having deja vu but because uh, gateway was a big conversation back in 2017 and this was here um and i can't remember what we did back then that was too many meetings ago
1: well, would the applicant like to care to comment on this uh, david hanby with
5: bg yes. consultants um as jeff mentioned this is just a, a a rezoning application what we included with the application was a previous cup and so that was previously approved as a cup i don't know what's going to what's going to look like going forward the owner hasn't um engaged us to reproduce a site plan so all he, all he wanted to do right now is just get the zoning straightened out so i don't know if it'll change but um, I would say that we did some pretty extensive landscaping when the CUP came through understanding there is some pretty intensive utilities. There's a transmission line for um, Evergy. There's also a high pressure gas line. And so that, that controls a lot of what happens in the, on that parcel. So uh, working within those bounds though, uh, we'd be happy to, to work with uh, the staff and, and the commission on the landscaping as was done previously, because we did as, as, the commissioner mentioned we had a lot of discussion about the gateway on this parcel I, I
3: would I would just say you know our prior discussion was also about the limited use that this property could be put to because of all the restrictions that Mr. Hamby's bringing up and its location and its lack of suitability for most things um so and this is just rezoning, so I, I really appreciate staff suggesting that the condition, the main condition is that it has to be one of those uses listed in the current area plan. I mean, that's that's something I haven't really seen before, and I, I really like that, especially since it's inside the K-10 loop, which is almost a sure bet for annexation. Um so it brings me to one other question for mary in the event that this would go forward with the possibility of requested you know to put in many warehouses and it's still in the county what design criteria would apply to structures going into this area especially mini warehouses since we have special rules for in the city <laughs>
6: that's a very good question. And um, since this is in the um, urban growth area, and like you said, pretty sure to annex it sometime in the near future, I think we would try to look at our commercial design standards. If it develops before it's annexed, we don't really have the, uh, the strength, you know, to require everything in the commercial design guidelines, but we can look for some of those. And primarily they look at trying to have some variation and, um, Sometimes you get that with roofline changes. Sometimes you get it with architectural features and sometimes you get it with landscaping. You know, you plant vertical plants or trees every so often and it breaks up the appearance of the walls. So we would certainly look at that when the site plan comes through. And this would be, um, since it's a if it develops outside the city limits, that would go to the board of county commissioners. And they have, again, that general requirement that all the structures provide a pleasing appearance. To, to nearby properties, which gives us a lot of latitude and we look at what what are we looking for? So if it's just a large you know uniform structure, we could require some features, whether it's landscaping or architectural.
3: Thank you.
9: <clears throat> Other questions from commissioners?
1: The online. No further questions or comments. Entertain a motion then?
0: point of order of manager oh, sorry. i think commissioner Munch may have had his hand did up
1: he? Oh, i'm sorry i missed i missed that i apologize i was looking too <laughs> no quite
0: all right. i,
5: I did uh-huh. have my hand up i uh-huh. appreciate that but the subsequent discussion has answered my uh-huh. question so thank you
1: thank you do do somebody kick me if i overlook uh-huh. commissioner munch
4: be happy to make a motion
1: okay thank you
4: move we approve the request to rezone z-22-00347 Approximately 11 and a half acres from CP cluster preservation to light industrial and forward to the Board of County Commissioners with a recommendation for approval based on the findings presented in the staff report and subject to the conditions listed in that report.
1: Thank you. Do I have a second? Commissioner Javor, thank you. Further discussion? Can we have the vote call, please?
0: Commissioner Ashworth? Yes. Commissioner Carpenter? Yes. Commissioner Carter? Yes. Commissioner Duvor? Yes. Commissioner Hayden? Yes. Commissioner Munch? Yes. Commissioner Rexroad? Yes. Commissioner Thomas? Yes. Motion passes eight to zero.
1: All right. Now we are on to item number three this evening. We are receiving an update on a text amendment uh involving wind energy conversion systems so this is not a project that is before us but we are receiving an update on a text amendment um, the plant the staff reporting on this sandy day and cc riley uh, will go through the project um, and um, give us what the what's what's going on with the wind conversion sorry with the wind energy conversion systems <laughs>
10: Good evening, Sandy Day. Yes, Cece Riley will be um, sharing in the presentation duties with me uh, this evening. And I would also like to give her a little call out to all of the really great graphics that are in this presentation. Before she got her hands on it, it was very wordy. Um, So those of you that attended the uh, study session, Just a few days ago that presentation is up on the website so also giving a little plug to the website that has been created to continue um, this dialogue and engagement with the public about um, this very important text amendment, which was actually initiated by the Commission. I'm going to go ahead and share my screen I just realized it was not being shared. Give me a quick moment here.
9: And
11: that website Sandy was speaking to. If anyone online or in person would like to look at it, it's in the back of Sandy's screen right now. Is lawrenceks.org/windregs. It has both the currently adopted wind regulations as well as the revised regulations we'll be discussing today.
10: Is this sharing screen yet? Oh, I got a thumbs up. Okay, great, thank you. Uh, Technology is not always my friend. So to begin with, this text amendment comes to you. It was initiated by this body in January of this year. Um, the land use regulations that govern uh, wind farms or those wind energy conversions is um, a product of a text amendment that was initiated in 2015 and ultimately adopted in 2017. Um, there to date have been zero proposals for any commercial scale wind farm. And we want to reiterate that and we'll reiterate that throughout probably this presentation and the several other meetings that we will be having about this. So we know there are companies out there having conversations with county residents and property owners. Um, This governs um, how the, the, applicant or the operator would engage with the community through an application in the future as i mentioned this use is permitted in the county regulations today there are two types of wind energy conversions those that are for those residential or accessory applications so a farm a business a home and those are permitted in all districts as an accessory structure and they're permitted as a building permit through county regulations and then currently the commercial version of this type of land use is permitted in the agricultural district the uh, business commercial and also the industrial zoning districts so before we get too far into this the structure of the regulation is based on two things one of those is um, as a conditional use that's listed in the county regulations. So we've spent a lot of time looking at the organization and the language and then um, you, where we have shall or will, those are already um, Defined kind of terms and how they're used in the regulations. So we follow that same kind of formatting in the regulations that you see this evening. Um, Things that are shall or will are mandatory, things that are may or should are permissive. That allows both the Planning Commission as an advisory board and the County Commission as the governing body to also have some flexibility in reviewing these, these kinds of projects. Just to bring us all to the same starting point of what is um, wind energy conversion system or wex um, it's the actual machine um, that converts that energy to the electrical power Um, they are the individuals so we're talking about wind turbines um, they can generate uh, wind pumps uh, generate water pumps um, those kinds of pieces and then the commercial components are really the big generating pieces of equipment that add power back to, to the overall uh, electrical grid. So as a starting point of this, this task to look at the regulations, um, staff partnered with county zoning staff. We met about a uh, weekly, anywhere from two to maybe four and a half or five hours a week. There are some weeks we skipped in there. Really taking apart the regulation, using the guidance of the work that was done from the solar regulations, and then rebuilding the proposed regulations. So what you see here is what's in the code today. And again, this is to say that county regulations do allow for um wind farms and i'm going to use that term kind of generally throughout this presentation when i'm talking about the wind farm as a commercial activity or commercial wex. Um, so this is the structure of the code that we had today and one of the charges from the planning commission when the text amendment was initiated to was to bring more alignment to the solar regulations so that's what we've tried to do um, so within Uh, this particular slide what you're seeing is basically a table of contents of what those regulations are key considerations is um, is a, a really important part of the regulation it's where we really built that structure and what those values are within the code that we built Um, into the application requirements, into the design standards, into the performance standards. Um, Performance standards are really something that's new to the regulations. Um, We've also added some process information in terms of the building permit, how you revise an approved plan. We'll talk about all these things in just a moment more. The staff report anytime we look at a text amendment as mary went through the findings of fact for zoning uh, we have something comparable in the regulations as they refer to um, text amendments those particular criteria are looking for um, is there a correction to an inconsistency in the zoning regulations um, are we advancing a clear public purpose the adequacy for planned um, Planned facilities and services, the text amendment, is it going to result in something that's reasonably compatible land use relationships, um, that it advances the interest of Douglas County as a whole, and then as we talk about um, also consistency with a comprehensive plan. So in the staff report, in the later section of the staff report, um, you're going to find the findings um, of each of those individual questions. Uh, this is just a quick, very quick clip of uh, those findings. Um, we do believe that the proposed regulations are, are bringing it much more in alignment with solar. And we you, use the solar regulations as kind of a template or pattern to move forward and then to also really build in a lot more clarity, accountability, transparency into those regulations for staff to administer, for an operator to make the application, but also for the community to participate in um, that process and how that works creating measures um, to make sure that public infrastructure, especially during construction, is protected. Um, We went into a lot of detail about the documentation requirements and those performance measures. Um, We have proposed a change to the notice boundary, uh, building structural setbacks, as well as height. We're gonna come to those in just a minute as well. One of the first things that we did in the regulations when we did the deconstruction of the regulations and rebuilding the new regulations is really to look hard at the definitions. Um, Cece was brilliant at a lot of this. She has the experience coming to us from... Uh, Boone County, Missouri. So she was very fresh into having drafted regulations. So we were able to lean on her work and really spend time at the county level as well and staff kind of going back and forth, making sure that we understood exactly what this this thing is that we're talking about and making sure also that we're using terminology that is uh, familiar to the industry. We don't want to be trying to create new terms uh, and, and uh, creating confusion through that. You know, what does staff mean by this? So um, again, we leaned on uh, the language and the research that CC had done, but also uh, building back into what kind of language is used in the industry. And I think that's going to help keep us very transparent uh, in this. CeCe, do you wanna add something here?
11: And part of why we spent so much time on the definitions was because the um, existing regulations included five definitions. One of those definitions was um, the entirety of the regulations on personal or small WECs. So in the new definitions, you'll see over 20 definitions, which go into both describing for the county staff, city staff, as well as any of the members of the community who might be interested in developing a WEX to better understand on an equal playing field, what are we talking about? So you'll see um, discussion of shadow flicker and things of that sort, as well as other regulations we've added in. As far as the personal WEX and commercial WEX, so as we sort of touched on earlier, county staff was substantially interested in providing more information on personal WEX. What was existing and what is existing as the currently adopted regulations was pretty brief and left a lot to staff interpretation and commission interpretation. The proposed regulations before you have the similar process that things are reviewed as in a building permit, that they're an accessory structure, but there's also a maximum height as well as a power rating, which is the same as the existing regulations. And additionally, we sort of define what is personal, how can personal act versus a commercial. The main difference being that a commercial turbine or wind farm can sell energy back to the grid, whereas a commercial or a personal WEX must keep all the energy on the site. So think of a small family farm that has to, or that would like to run more renewable energy on its site.
9: Thank you, Cece.
10: Okay, so just um, some quick things on that personal. So we this is, again, where you see a change in the definitions from small to personal. And I think this helps, uh, again, define and determine that we're talking about um, those that have a specific use to the property or the business or the farm that we're talking about. Has a maximum power rating, has a maximum height um, that we've talked about, 75 feet. Um, there are requirements to be set back from roadways um, in those dimensional standards of the zoning district, Uh, the building permit pieces of it that are applicable to this and that uh, makes this use a little bit more friendly for the individual uh, that they can skip straight to a building permit process. Um, Those are kind of the, the big pieces of that particular piece of it. The bulk of the work that we did really focused on the commercial wind energy system. So again, a little bit of a table of contents here. Um, All of these subsections that we talk about next really are all uh, specific to that commercial WEX uh, (laughs) projects. So key considerations. Um, was a significant component. You saw that in the original regulations, you see that in solar regulations, and we continue with that in this revised uh, set of uh, regulations. And it also forms the basis of how we look at what kind of information has to be provided with the application, the design standards, performance standards, expand on that as we move through the regulations. So some of those pieces that we're really kind of highlighting here um, are siting considerations, how and where those individual turbines are placed on the property, what is the visual impact, noise impact, environment impact, infrastructure. All of these components are part of, uh, built into the application process as we look um, at a particular project, and that includes the life cycle of the project. So, how does it get decommissioned, and how does that land get reclaimed um, within the lifespan of the project? Specific to the application, and this is where we spent some time really defining upfront what kinds of information needed to be provided. Um, going going forward. So, this is where staff is going to do the analysis and build a report that would ultimately be coming forward to the Planning Commission for consideration for your recommendation that would be a project going forward to the County Commission for their ultimate uh, approval. So, a concept plan showing the boundary of the entire project. So, all of the parcels that would be included in that request, the lighting plans, that are associated with that. What is the visual impact assessment? The visual impact noise assessment and environmental impact assessment are very specific uh, kinds of studies um, that would be Attachments to the application. Each of those things can be pages long um, and require specific information to be included to be a complete application with with any one of these things missing. The applicant would not have a complete application and we would not be bringing it forward to you for consideration. Um, in this. And then by listing all of these things explicitly in the regulation puts an applicant on notice of what kinds of information they have to provide. And and none of this information um, would be surprising. There's nothing tricky in here. This is all um, Pretty, pretty industry standard kinds of information requests that would go into it. Stormwater management plan, we ask for that kind of information in conditional use permits today. Traffic studies, uh, we ask for today in conditional use permits. Something that would be a little bit different, although you see it in some kinds of conditional use permits, would be a road maintenance agreement. You see something similar with quarries, um, operation and maintenance Um, FAA requirements. We at the local level do not review um, FAA requirements. That's a very specific piece that our regional office in Kansas City would be doing, Um, but we do require the applicant to go ahead and and acknowledge that that's a requirement and they are following up with that kind of thing. We also require or proposing with the application an emergency mitigation plan. So when we have um, an extraordinary event, um, that and we'll get into that a little bit, um, there is um, um, bird fatalities. I think are are the most common thing that I've heard with relationship to this. What what is the plan for dealing with that? Um, how do you do it? Do you you have an you know an immediate stop of that wind turbine? Staff has to get out there. There's probably other state and federal agencies that have to get out there and assess um, what happened and why and go from there. A very specific decommissioning plan. How does it happen? Um, the costs and the fees associated with that. Providing those sureties either through an escrow um, deposit, letter of credit, a, a couple of different tools. Um, that we propose within the regulation to be able to support what decommissioning looks like. Um, Within the application process, um, much like with communication towers, uh, communication towers require um, an extraordinary notice boundary of one mile. Uh, The current regulations for wind energy require uh, a notice boundary of one mile this regulation proposes to extend that notice boundary to two miles. This is a notice that the applicant would be responsible for. They would be required to make that notice at the time of application. Um, And that's one of those things that that staff spend a lot of time talking about. Do you make that application, sorry, do you make that notice when the application is being submitted, how long before, how long after, Um, really What the expectation is, is the applicant is submitting the mile notice basically concurrently with bringing their packet of information into the planning and zoning offices um, so that we don't have somebody out there making notice of something without staff knowing about it, but also that they haven't submitted it to staff and they're, you know, waiting many days to make notice to that public. So this tries to get at some of the transparency of making the community aware when there is a formal application submitted. Did I just advance? Okay, Um, design standards. So design standards are those pieces that, um, those are the hard and fast things, setbacks, height, Uh, The clearance from the bottom sweep of the blade structural design of the actual uh, tower base. Um, So we have identified all of those kinds of of pieces within this. Um, We did actually engage with um, Douglas County Fire and Medical, Um, so there is language in In the proposed regulation per their direction. uh, It mirrors almost exactly I think what the solar regulations have. Um, This is a very specialized kind of land use and so having the proper um, training and tools and equipment to be able to uh, respond to an emergency Um, Is something that was was uh, important to our fire medical staff. So that is reflected in these regulations prohibited marking so you you don't get to turn the proposed uh, structure into a cylindrical billboard. access road requirements. And again, this goes back a little bit to the emergency preparedness, Um, access roads to equipment need to be capable of supporting the emergency apparatus. So that is reflected in the regulations. Prior to this work, we really relied on, or the way the the regulations are written in the code today, we really rely on the conditional use permit to both identify and evaluate all of these components. And um, what this change in regulation does is really puts that um, front and center of what those expectations are. Mm -hmm. Setbacks, and I don't know if Cece, you wanna jump in here for setbacks. I think the next couple of slides will get to um, some of the fun graphic
11: stuff. So of the design standards on the previous slide that Sandy spoke to, setbacks, permitted height, clearance, color, all those sort of things, we've identified some of the key changes that are proposed between the previously adopted regulations and the regulations before you today, one of those being setbacks. The previous standard on setbacks was 110% the height to, Sandy may have told me, is it to the... um, nearest property line, I believe, and then 1,500 feet to the nearest dwelling? I believe that's the way it was, yes. So with the proposed regulations, we keep that 1,500 feet number, but we call out um, three different setbacks being from uh, 1,500 feet to the participating landowner's residence and any other occupied structure. So in the regulations in the definition section, we identify participating landowners versus non-participating landowners. Those participating landowners are those who have a vested interest, have a lease, have other sort of financial gain through um, any commercial wind farm project. So from a turbine site, 1500 feet to the participating dwelling, and 1500 feet from any non-participating property line. And it may be hard to visualize, we have another slide coming up soon, but There's also a third setback being 110% the height to any street or road. So with that, um, on this graphic, you'll see um, a site that's not to scale and that isn't based on any real property in or around the county. The triangles on the picture on the right are turbine sites, that pink, Circle is 110% height setback that staff's proposing to any street or road. The blue 1500 feet setback applies to both non-participating property owners being those in yellow, and as well as the houses on the white properties. So for example, if you look at the turbine site where Sandy's cursor is right now, you can see that that site could not get any more north with the currently proposed regulations. So that non-participating property line is sort of a substantial buffer from that turbine site, as well as it couldn't be much more West, both because of that house that you see in the Northwest of that site, as well as the road would run into that pink area. So another example, the turbine site, you see the most West or left, it couldn't be any more West if we're identifying up as North because it runs both into the non-participating property lines on either side. So there was a community concern about if it's 1500 feet from any dwelling, if you buy the property next door to an existing turbine site, that turbine is then limiting where you might be able to put your house on that property. And the proposed any non-participating property owner the setback stops at that property line. So then within the property itself, the only setbacks that apply are those that are standard to whatever zoning district they're in. And then, sorry. Okay.
10: So um, the next couple of slides, we're gonna go over some of these physical components um, that make up the design standards. So this first one we'll talk about, it will be height, Um, We'll also talk a little bit more about setback, about noise, and about lighting. So that's the next group of slides that we'll talk about the design standards. As we mentioned earlier in the presentation, the original regulations did not have a maximum height. This particular proposed regulation does have height, and the height is based on uh, a measurement from the ground level to the center of the hub height. Um, the hub height again. This this goes back to the industry standard. CC brought forward um, uh, loads of research work about where we are in the United States and kind of this uh, in in the Midwest. What are the typical heights of towers? What is economically efficient? Um, To actually make a project viable, some of the other heights that we looked at, um, you may or may not necessarily get the same kind of economic benefit from them. And then there are also communities that propose uh, a a hub height that is substantially lower and they effectively zone out the use because there's just not an economic return to do... um, a wind, a wex at that height. And and that's really a different conversation um, that we would have if, if, if the overall interest is to prohibit or not allow this kind of land use, which again, it's already permitted in the codes today. um, That's a very different discussion that we would need to have. So I don't know. Cece, do you want to talk a little bit more about height?
11: Absolutely. So, um, With what staff's proposing, um, it was, uh, as Sandy said, balance between both the character of the area um, and community's interest in protecting their land and their character of their neighborhood, as well as the industry and what is currently being uh, made available what we've proposed before you today is to set a maximum hub height of 80 meters using meters because of that industry standard that Sandy had mentioned. And then going on to say that the board of County commissioners may approve greater heights, but not greater than 110 meters. If increased tower height aligned better with the purpose and intent of this section. So that's to say that um, if a taller set of turbines meant that there were, 20% fewer overall Then the board of County commissioners may take that into consideration with their discussion of any proposed uh, WEX application. And the reason why we have a recommended and then a maximum is both to provide um, flexibility as well as once you go over 110 meter hub height, the, um, best practice recommendations, as well as the studies that are available to staff, both from the federal um, Department of Energy, as well as some other um, well-documented studied pieces say that past 110, you really run into issues where the pieces are so large that then the impact of the roads is such that it, that cost benefit doesn't quite weigh out. So the next graphic goes on to show um, comparison of different heighted, familiar objects. So on the left side, you see the smallest on KU's campus. And then past that, there's the North Lawrence Grain elevator. The transmission tower is not one that is specifically sited in Douglas County, but um, it's just to sort of represent if you're driving down the road and you see a very tall transmission tower, It's probably about 150 feet tall. Then you have the St. Louis Arch superimposed in the background. That's the tallest structure in St. Louis being 630 feet, as well as the tallest structure in Kansas city, which I wasn't especially familiar with before looking into this, but it's a building called the one Kansas city place. And that's just under 630 feet tall. So in the middle, you have two different turbines, the, um, graphic in front of you. So it shows both the blue 80 meter hub height dot that Sandy's cursor is right above, as well as the sweep of the turbine blades, and then that maximum tip height, which on this graphic you see 442 feet. That isn't to say that that tip height is the absolute tallest a turbine could ever be. There are three um, turbine manufacturers that make up over 75% of the market in the U.S. being Vestas, GE, and Siemens. Of those three companies, I looked into what is on the market today and how do they vary in height, um, looking specifically at 80-meter hub height and 110-meter hub height. Each of those different manufacturers range in how they build turbines, both how large is their base, how um, long are their turbine blades, how thick are their turbine blades. And so I took an average of um, just over a dozen different turbines at a random and came up with that about average, they had a maximum tip height of showing 442 on an 80 meter hub height. And then it goes all the way up to 574 on 110 meter hub height. The green little box you see at the bottom indicates again, an average, But the minimum clearance so whenever a turbine blade goes in its full circular rotation how far does it get to the ground the currently proposed regulations have a 50 meter 50 foot sorry clearance at the bottom of those turbine sites i did not find any um, 80 meter hub height turbines that had less than a 50 meter clearance i think that's both to account for to be most efficient, those blades have to have a wake that's uninterrupted so that they don't have wind to the ground and then slow down their energy ability, as well as safety concerns. So the minimum clearance we have proposed before you meets those different standards.
10: Okay, thank you. So design standards and performance standards are two separate sections within the regulations. Um, And those performance standards are applicable throughout the life of the project. So those are the measurable components. When we come back and review an application for compliance, it's the performance standards that are going to guide us and help us tell us that the project is or is not in conformance with what, Um, a particular approved conditional use permit would be if this were adopted. Failure to comply with performance standards um, brings that applicant into jeopardy where their CUP could be suspended. Um, It could be that there is an amendment or a flat-out revocation of the conditional use permit as determined on Uh, the findings of what that performance standard result is in in the county commission's actions. Performance standards, um, this is just kind of a partial list. It's not all inclusive, but it's some of the significant things that we wanted to bring your attention to. Um, These are the pieces where we're really looking at the, the application in terms of did is the applicant doing what they said they were going to do? Are things being cited correctly? The visual impact. So if the study says that the shadow flicker is only going to be X number of hours over the span of a year, is that really happening? Or are we seeing more shadow, more flicker across property beyond that? The lighting? um Are the blades, um, do they have a coating so that they are non-reflective and then somehow that coating has flaked off and now we have glare, all of those kinds of things. Noise impact, both the construction noise that happens, but then also the operational noise, um, how those things are going to be measured. And again, this is one of those sections of the code and this is why it's taken so long to bring this um, forward is with with the help of county staff, them being intimately involved in every one of these discussions, we we spend hours talking about every one of these particular things. Um, I would say next to CC's research, county staff is also very good at research and finding the studies and, and looking at that. And it, it's it's almost too much to process uh, if if that's the only thing you're doing um cc did you want to add anything here
11: just that um to emphasize the performance standards are really a means of allowing staff and the commission to have a mitigation technique if something goes wrong or if something isn't what was expected so there's multiple pieces of it that really go into those original key considerations and making sure that both was said happens and that there's complete follow-through so one of those performance standards if you'd like sandy i can talk about the noise standard the staffs proposed Go ahead so as sandy had mentioned we're proposing both a um during construction hours of operation sort of when might those um construction pieces be taking place as well as during the life of the project, the previous regulations did not include a um, permitted noise or an expected noise. So we understand that that is a significant community concern and something that should you live near a wind turbine, you want to make sure is well considered. And so staffs proposed that the noise level during operation shall not exceed 50 decibels as measured at the property line of the nearest non-participating property owner. So So. that allows staff to um, contact a qualified professional if there's a complaint and then not exceed onto a non-participating property where they may not want folks taking a measurement, but then also accounts for the different houses have, different levels of um, whatever that word is. Tolerance. (laughs) Yeah. Or whatever keeps it warm in the winter. Yeah. Insulation. Insulation. That was the word I couldn't find. So having a measurement at the property line met the different um, areas we were trying to meet and trying to protect for.
10: And this, this also speaks to the kinds of enforcement opportunities that um, zoning officials have in terms of entering property, what we can do, what we can measure from a property line. If we do not have permission, then we really do have to kind of get as close as we can. That's usually um, property line at a public right-of-way unless a property owner has given explicit and Im- uh, permission to go ahead and access property.
11: And this is another space where if, um, what was proposed isn't then met, um, we call out in the performance standards, how mitigation techniques may be applied, whether that's through landscaping buffers or walls or other means of making sure that any unexpected or, um, unusual sound can be protected from or that property owners can be protected from that. So with 50 decibels, um oftentimes whenever talking about these numbers, you sort of want to know what that sounds like. And perception of noise is always subjective. You know, your grandpa can't hear you whenever the TV's on, but your mom can hear a pin drop in the other room. So I've laid out before you How loud is a whisper, a refrigerator, a dishwasher, all the way up to a vacuum? And again, there's also different levels of efficiency in each of these appliances. Uh, Refrigerator from the late 90s versus a fancy one with a basically iPad on the front. Sound completely different, but think of just the average in all of these. And then um, I'm also trying to express through this graphic that Noise is uh, exponential. It's not that 60 decibels is just a little bit higher than 50. It's perceived to be about double. So making sure that the regulations account for not having disruptive noise cause someone to want to move or otherwise be unhappy in their own home. We really wanted to take time and be thoughtful about how we presented regulations in that way. So the next couple of slides are something that came
10: out of our discussion with the commission at mid month about lighting. Uh, Cece, being the genius that she is, has a graphic to help explain some of this information. Lighting of towers um, and communication towers is certainly a touchy subject. we don't anticipate it'll be any less of a consideration for the community if a wind farm were to be proposed so we we kind of went back and forth about lighting and how to address it and certainly lighting is going to be subject to the requirements of FAA that that's that's kind of a a, a baseline we don't have a lot that we get to do about that. But one of the things we think that we can do, and we've had uh, county uh, county legal staff take a look at the regulations so far, so they've seen kind of the first draft of what you're seeing, uh, and I don't have um, any big red flags going yet. Um, so that's that's good news. Um, I have been able to reach out a little bit to this to the city's um, consultant Garver when it comes to some of the questions about aviation, and I can continue to ask them questions as um, as we go forward. With this they have been very gracious in responding to some of that information. So, Cece, you want to
11: talk about lighting a little bit? Absolutely. And through researching the FAA as best we can, not being sort of aviation engineers or pilots ourselves. Um, the FAA has a um requirement of daytime white, nighttime red that's um very apparent at nighttime, especially whenever um say you're driving west down I-70 towards Colorado and you start to really see those blinking lights. Um, and we had a great deal of community concern about how that may disrupt the character of the area. And so through reading the FAA's regulations, we found that there's a type of lighting regulated by the FAA for turbines referred to as ADS. It's a uh, radar activated. And with that radar activation, should a airplane or helicopter or other sort of mechanical a- device, a- in <laughs> Um, come within a certain distance, then those lights start to blink. If there isn't an airplane in the proximity of that turbine, it would be off. So that um, range is if a plane, for language sake, is lower than 2,500 feet altitude, it would set off um, the radar activation so long as that is also within a two and a half mile radius of the turbine site. Um, Planes regularly fly at about 36,000 feet. So it wouldn't be um, a cross nation flight that would set off turbines. It would really be those planes who might be looking to land here soon. And then there's other FAA regulations about how close they can be to airstrips. And I can't recall those offhand. but part of the application is as Sandian mentioned acknowledging those different FAA regulations and showing us how you meet each of those criteria
9: so
10: one of the things are the provisions in the conditional use permit was how quickly from the time that you have an approval, and an approval would be having gone through the public hearing, having met with the planning commission, any conditions that were established, having gone to the county commission, having gained their approval. Once that conditional use permit is approved, an applicant has two years to begin construction. Um, they, they, There is a process that an applicant could request an extension if they're coming up on that two years and they haven't issued uh, any kind of a building permit. But this is really an effort to, again, make these kinds of application requests kind of live and active, not allowing for an operator to go through. And I've, I've seen this in the city where we've had a project, it got approved and then it sat for a number of years, and they've had two, three, four, five kinds of renewals um, because there are different things going on in the market, and and maybe they didn't uh, decide they, they wanted to do that particular uh, commercial development or whatever it is. So this really makes um, that applicant kind of toe the line as well to say okay yes we're going to go through all of this effort and if they don't get their building permit within two years um, to begin construction then the cup becomes null and void now there may be legitimate reasons why something has has to be deferred um, and, and we can respond to that through the county commission, through public notice and having um, an, an extension of that. There would be an affidavit uh, recorded with the Register of Deeds referencing the CUP the date and the expiration that would be applicable to any of the properties that would be participating properties. And then again, that's trying to give that transparency. Um, if you're looking um, at buying property, is there that kind of uh, a reference on that property? The building permit documentation is part of the code of what is required. Um, the conditional use permit, we talk about a maximum uh, timeline. So the maximum, the conditional use permit would Be approved for would be 25 years. Planning Commission could recommend less. County Commission could approve less than the 25 years, but that would be the maximum. And then if the project wanted to go beyond that 25 years, they would then uh, come back for a new conditional use permit. I will have long been retired, and then we can move forward um, with with the next version of of whatever this looks like based on what kind of technology is in place at that point in time. Special inspections, because of this kind of a use, um, special inspections would be required through the building permit process. The applicant would have to provide all of the the stamped and sealed engineering documents that would be submitted to the county for their building permit. Um, All of that special inspection would be at the applicant's expense. And then also to make sure that part of that building permit um, also shows that there's going to be compliance with whatever conditions were placed on the conditional use permit. Because we know um, with any kind of land use, there is oftentimes in the construction process um, changes that need to be made. Um, in this case, you know, perhaps we find that unique dinosaur bone um, while the foundation is being dug, what does that mean for the project? Can they shift that, that potential WEX, machine some distant within the project still meeting um, the compliance of of all of the required setbacks all of the other documentation that they would need to show that by moving this this is simply just an example you know that 10 or 15 or 20 feet to get out of the way of whatever kind of archaeological find or or whatever other change has happened that what is a minor revision versus what is a major revision? Major revisions would be things that um, expand the project area beyond the boundary of what was the identified conditional use permit in the original application, increasing turbine height, uh, adding more turbines to the project than what was in the conditional use permit. All of those pieces would be considered major revisions and those would go back to the County Commission as as a public hearing. So as a noticed change to the public um, following those same processes. And the intention of this is, again, this piece of transparency. So trying to provide a method for an operator to come forward and say, hey, I have this, this, this problem or this challenge. Um, I want to work with the county to solve it and, and have a good compliant project versus somebody trying to skirt around something because it's going to be too difficult, too challenging to come back and do those revisions. So it's, it's trying to recognize both Um, Things happen in field, in construction timing, but to have a good, clear process for everybody involved, that is fair and equitable. The abandonment, decommissioning, and reclamation pieces. um, These are pieces that were in the code, but probably not as strong as they could be or should be. Um, We were able to use a lot of the language and the format that was in uh, the solar regs. So one of the things that this proposes is that there would be a five-year review every five years the project gets reviewed, much like we, I think we look at quarries about every five years or so, um, making sure that the project is still in compliance with what those approvals were. That's the formal time. It's not to say that if there is a complaint, if there is an issue that staff won't be in there in less than five years' time um, to be able to review what the complaint or the issue is and respond to it appropriately or demand that the applicant respond to it. Having um, a security for the decommissioning as a letter of credit, cash, uh, escrow, account, performance bond, those are all types of things that the county is very used to working with. Um, We see those more with... um, public improvements, roads and bridges, um, making sure that there is a backup in case something goes horribly wrong, um, needs to be equal to the amount of the decommissioning cost, needs to be adjusted for inflation, and we can be doing that part of the review at that every five-year increment as well. Um, that that security survives um, a sale or a transfer of the WEC. So if we get Company A coming in with the application and getting it built and constructed, and then they sell it off to company B, that these kinds of pieces continue with the project regardless of any changes in ownership. Um, trying to remember, Cece, we've talked so much about things, I can't remember what I've presented and what, what we've... Uh, we're talking about what's done (laughs) so i'll go let you
11: go yeah please do so within the decommissioning reclamation plan we call out abandonment so what does it mean or what does it look like if either company a has um, abandoned an entire project or if there's a specific turbine that is has been inoperable for an extended period of time and how does county staff and the commission have Um, roomed with those mitigation techniques. So um, in addition to the security and what Sandy was speaking to, we did our best to within this section, call out specific measurable numbers to identify what does it look like if something's abandoned. So you'll see within a individual turbine, um, we may get complaints from neighbors that there's a turbine that's been off for an extended period of time or other sort of notification. And then we would ask the, there's in the regulations currently, we ask for an annual um, data set of what sort of energy they're producing. So we would also be able to see on the front end, but a turbine has been identified as abandoned if it's incapable of producing at least 20% of its average energy conversion for at least six months. And that entire project is considered abandoned whenever 50% or more of the individual turbines are abandoned, as mentioned in the previous one. So over 50% are not producing at least 20%. sort of builds on each other. But these numbers are also a space in addition to the um, security amount being 100% of decommissioning. Uh, cost that we're interested in having the planning commission think about do these numbers sort of represent in your mind what you see as abandoned or what you see as necessary for security we've run this abandonment decommissioning reclamation um, section by county legal multiple times and we'll continue to do that because this is really that final legal piece that makes sure that The land can be reclaimed, and Sandy, you'll go to the next slide. It sort of speaks to that if things are abandoned, the current regulations speak to that within 90 days of that abandonment, the property must begin to be reclaimed. So this slide speaks to it pretty briefly, but there is a lot of language in the regulations themselves about what that means. And there's two main ways. Sorry, Sandy, you go. No, that's okay. Um, Yeah, the the
10: two ways, it could be an initiation by the operator. So they choose to um, bring a particular wax offline and remove it. Um, Or it could be something that's initiated by the county with notice. And so all of those procedures are in there that um, say we we get those complaints, those complaints are substantiated. The county then takes those next steps and ends up with an order from the county commission with all the due um, legal steps that that will have needed to be uh, completed to then... um, deal with that abandonment, the decommissioning, and then returning the land back to whatever use is, is going to continue and and most likely some form of agricultural use. Um, This, this then ties back to that, that security for that cost of decommissioning and the reclamation that that is to the operator, to the participating landowner and to the security. So we've done what we can, we think to, Uh, protect people from themselves, Um, hopefully any participating landowner would look at whatever kind of lease agreements that they're entering in and make sure that they're covered and protected. Um, Staff would be looking at that as part of um, the initial application in the review, and we would probably as part of the review have county legal staff take a look at what the applicant is proposing and so you'd get a report from staff in the um staff report if you saw a conditional use permit for this kind of land use now we've not seen it yet um this kind of language is in there probably not as clear or direct or has um is is it as enforceable as we are looking at right now uh, in this proposed language, but that's the intent of it. Um, So a couple of things before we wrap up, I know we've been talking for a long time. Um, There's a lot here. There is a number of different opportunities for the public to engage in this discussion. We are actively planning a community meeting. I am waiting on the final final approval for the meeting at the Greenbrush School which was uh Wakarusa Valley Elementary School if some of you know it by that name that would be in early January with a second um, public meeting hosted here in the Riverfront building for staff uh, I'm sorry for uh, the public to meet with staff to talk about that project and that would be the end of January so we've tried to give the opportunity for two different uh, meeting times to meet with staff and to identify different concerns the public may have. The website is up and rolling, um, so there is a direct email that comes to my attention. Um, we're pretty diligent about checking that and making sure that we're hearing from people, Um, keeping the website pretty updated. This presentation will get uploaded as well as a link to tonight's meeting. So the public will have all of that information available to them as we move forward. So we are kind of opening that, that public comment um, time frame, and that will continue. There will be a couple of different updates that will that will come to the planning commission. Um, at this point in time, we are not proposing any amendments or changes to the regulations. What we will be doing is tracking what we've heard um, going through this public comment period, and this is more similar to how we would run things doing um, a some kind of comprehensive plan amendment that is community-wide. Um, so we'll be bringing those those um, what we heard reports to you at different planning commission meetings. Um, you also are able to check the website for whatever information gets posted um, up there. And then we plan to have yet another mid-month meeting and we would be at that time presenting any new Uh, Revised language to what you have seen tonight. So we're not going to make changes between now and January. We're not going to make changes between now and February. You will see that next set of changes in early March at the conclusion kind of of that uh, public commentary period. Ultimately, once the Planning Commission finishes with the public hearing process and all of that is closed, your recommendation would then go to the County Commission for their their final actions. With that, your action tonight is to receive all of this information. We um, have the dedicated uh, email address up as well as the information for the website. With that, I think we're done. Um, we're happy to answer any questions. I am going to stop sharing.
11: And I and think we're done. <laughs> Real quick, Thank just you. to summarize that last timeline piece staff's proposing four public hearings and two community events, as well as a 60 day public comment period on the regulations as they're proposed. Thank you
1: for that wrap up. And thank you, um, Sandy and Cece, for that tremendous amount of work uh, on these regulations. Thank you very much. It's much appreciated. And your explanation, thorough going over of the regulations. Um, uh, the next step would be is public comment since we don't have an applicant, but I'd like to give everybody an opportunity for a rest break um, for five minutes. Um, and then we'll reconvene for public comment.
5: Great idea.
0: room is ready.
1: All right. Thank you. Thank you for everybody's patience. Thank you again to Sandy and Cece. Um, Before we uh, begin um, public comment, I'll just remind everybody that we'll be commenting this evening that each individual has three minutes to comment. But that being said, um, I would like to reiterate that one, we don't have a project before us this evening. We're just receiving um text amendments for comment um and also i think i counted there are at least seven other opportunities um to make your comments and thoughts known on these regulations we have a mix of public meetings that are coming up and then there'll be at least two more Planning Commission meetings where we receive the text amendment for comment, and then of course there'll be the meeting in March where uh, we take a vote, there'll be public comment at that time, and that recommendation will then go to the county commission, and then there will be another opportunity public comment. So I encourage everybody um, to go through these draft regulations that we have now um, and make your comments at one or more of those public opportunities to make that comment. This is a baseline, um, a very thorough baseline, but still a baseline. And we have an opportunity, um, you have an opportunity to make your your feelings known on, on these wind regulations. So please take advantage of that. Um, so we're going to start.
3: Can I just add just one thing to your comment? Sure. I just I would just like to make sure everybody understands that we have existing regulations for this type of use. So what we're really looking at here is how to improve our existing regulations in light of what was done with the solar. So we're not starting from scratch here. This, if we don't come up with. Um, Modifications that are acceptable to the community, we have a fallback that I don't think is very acceptable to the community. So, and I would just add also to the public comment written comments are very much appreciated, especially if you can articulate specific modifications to these rules that would be helpful. That would be, I think, very, very helpful to everyone that's working on drafting this update.
1: Thank you, Commissioner Carpenter. Um, And also if in your public comment, you have a question for staff or the commission, we don't answer directly um, during the public comment period, but we'll often come back to those individuals who have those questions and make sure those questions are answered. Um, when the when public comment is closed. Um, so I'm gonna start with the folks that are here in the room this evening, because you've been waiting so patiently to talk. Um, so please step up to the podium um, and state your name. And like I said, each individual will have three minutes. Who would like to get started?
16: No?
9: Okay. <laughs>
17: Uh, And happy winter solstice to everybody. Uh, I'm Alan Anderson, Alan Kloss Anderson. I'm the vice chair of the energy practice group at the Polsonelli Law Firm in in the Kansas City office. I'm also adjunct professor at the University of Kansas Law School, where I teach renewable energy law, including we have sessions on building uh, wind regulations. So it's a pretty pertinent topic. I am a resident of Douglas County, and I do represent most of the wind developers through the state, including NextEra, which is the one that I think probably has brought the most attention related to this process. One thing, I certainly want to thank Ms. Day and Ms. Riley. as they have, there's a lot of work that's been put into this, and it's not easy. That's one of the things about doing regulations like this. There's a lot of challenges to going out and getting that information on the internet and otherwise to craft those. So They put a lot of good work into this. One thing I'll do for today is kind of set a little of the background, uh, because there's a lot of history related to wind energy projects that would be pertinent to regulations. So in the U.S., we have more than 215,000 megawatts of operating projects. In Kansas, more than 8,000 megawatts of operating projects. So that's, you know, eight gigawatts of project in Kansas, where are about 50 percent of our energy every time we turn on the lights comes from renewable energies. And in Kansas, that's mainly wind energy. Um, I've had the good fortune to work on most of those projects in the state, so I have a lot of history of working with counties uh, and can give a lot of good examples of places where you might be able to look for uh, people who had similar experience and want to know how did it work there in those projects, because it's really a good news story throughout the state, both economically and in operationally on how these work. First project in Kansas was more than uh, 20 years ago and still operating in Gray County, Kansas, and that was the next year project uh, that's still operating. They still own nine projects. That they've constructed and are operating throughout the state and again it's been a, it's been a really great story through the state. So the, the main point there is we have a lot of experience on what works in these projects counties have a lot of experience that, that they can bring to that to say here's how it worked on these different things from siting from roads to all decommission all the things kind of go with that. Um. So, the, the point I often make is we don't have to guess on those. There's a lot of also engineering help within the state that can provide some of the information that's difficult to find, whether it be related to turbine heights, because that's that's an evolving part of things. And there's there's real uh, getting that right is important. That just as an example, uh, you know, you have the Burns, McDonald's, a lot of great engineering companies in the, in our region that can bring, uh, I encourage, you know, the, the commission to consider bringing it to bear on those things. So, again, while we have a lot of information, I do think one of the things you're going to run into through this process and staff will as well it's it's there's going to be inundation of information that's not quality information that's coming and that's going to come to you uh, and it's a challenge to work through and so i just put that out there there was study that you know presentation with the uh south dakota that that goes through this process and that was one of the things they pointed to so while this is just the first of many which we've mentioned i do want to uh Say that I'm looking forward to working with staff, looking forward to working with everyone on going through the regulations to make sure they're the the ones that work for Douglas County, as I'm a resident as well, but also that are appropriate to allow things to, to work uh, well. Thank you.
1: Thank you.
9: Anybody else in the room would like to comment? Yes. My name is Philip
18: Metzger, and I live fairly close to where the proposed windmill farm is proposed to be. My family's been in Douglas County since 1858, before Kansas was a state. I've lived approximately five miles from where this windmill farm is proposed to be for 69 years. That's how old I am. Um. I The staff did a great job of uh, studying all the windmill stuff and everything and putting all the rules together and, and proposed rules, I guess I should say. But I'd like to know the payout on one of these windmill farms. How long does it take to pay for one of the towers? I've heard such things that it takes 280 years to pay for one tower if there's no maintenance involved. Um, they're just, um, a lot of things I've got pictures on my phone, looking to the West where these windmills are going to be and just beautiful sunsets. My wife that's sitting here with me loves to see the sunsets in the evening. And if those windmills are there, they're, they're going to be ruined. And the blinking lights at night won't be able to see stars. I travel. I'm a district sales manager for a seed corn company, and I travel way south to the Oklahoma border and beyond that in the southwest Missouri. There's several wind farms in my area. The farmers, when they first hear about them and they hear that they might get paid for putting towers on their land, they're all for it. But after the towers are installed, they wish they'd never even heard of it. They leak oil all over the ground, and uh, they kill birds. Lots of birds. There's ice shear off the blades, and many other things that are detrimental to the area. I just, I'm, I'm gonna write up and propose, uh, send in pictures of stuff that I've uh discovered from these windmill farms and like i say um bottom line is that douglas county is way too populated for one, one of these farms so thank you very much
1: thank you would anybody else in the room like to speak and i can come back if you are suddenly is inspired go yes Come on. I was just going to say, if anybody was inspired, once I go back, once I go online, I'll come back and check in with the room in case anybody's inspired. But go ahead, Mr.
14: Thank you. Michael Allman, Sustainability Action Network. I think as a community, generally speaking, we do want renewable energy. Um, We approved regulations for solar recently. Um, Renewable energy, of course, is one of the solutions for climate disruption to have energy that's not based on fossil fuels. Um, and this, of course, is the way that we can provide reliable, clean uh, energy for human settlement, basically, for keeping our societies functioning. But there's a second major crisis besides climate disruption right now. The 15th International United Nations Convention on Biodiversity Loss is, is wrapping up right now in Montreal. And there are some people, myself, I think, in that category, who see this crisis as worse than climate disruption. There have been approximately 69% loss of, of populations of all species across the board. We're in the sixth major extinction crisis right now, according to scientists. So in this context, I just wanna point out that I don't think bigger is necessarily better when it comes to a wind turbine. The bigger you go, the taller it is, the wider the the swath of the sweep of the blades. Common sense and science tells us you're gonna get more bird loss, injuries and deaths. And there's tens of thousands of birds being killed now every year in the United States from wind turbines. Um, There are ways to uh, remediate that to at least some extent. Um, It's in our agenda report if you wanna read a little more and the staff has some of the links that we sent. But that doesn't mean that if you remediate a certain percent Um, using some various techniques, you can then justify a larger turbine, which would, in effect, just offset what you just saved by some remediation. Um, It's not necessary for us to use technology simply because we can. Bigger is not necessarily better. There are other considerations, and I just bring this up tonight so that we start thinking that it's not just to maximize the potential of industry to make a profit or maximize the potential sites that some may be questionable or marginal unless we have bigger turbines. That's not necessarily the only concern here. So thank you.
1: Thank you. All right, I will um, check back in with the room, but I'll turn to online. If you have a comment you'd like to make, if you could raise your hand your digital hand and
9: we will recognize you. I'm gonna turn on, see if I can see on my screen here. Um, I'm seeing, is
12: it Marcia. There's people with great hands raised.
1: Okay, I can't get, for some reason, I'm not getting the full screen here. Um, I'm um, uh, Marshall, Marsha, Marsha,
9: Ah, Marsha Pole. Thank you, Marsha Pole. Please Would Marsha Pole like to speak? go.
16: Okay,
1: I don't think so. How about somebody else? And I'm not. You said, I said I'm not being able to line. see. Not able to scroll through.
12: This is a- Shuck had her hand up, but then took it down, oh, so I'm not 100%. Okay. Can you see her?
1: No, I don't. Oh, I saw, um, let's said, let's try Marsha again.
9: Marsha, you do appear to be unmuted. Okay, um,
1: I'm afraid you're not coming through. Um, are there other people who would like to comment?
11: I will note um, there were a deal or a great deal of Marsha's comments included in the uh, communications packet. Um, and if she's having internet troubles right now, hopefully we'll be able to speak with her later because I know she was um, interested in engaging with this body.
1: Yes, thank you. I'm not seeing um, anybody else um, currently, although my screen has been fixed, thank you. Kurt, uh, Okay. If there's no further public comment, does anybody else in the room like to comment before we close public comment this evening? Like I said, there'll be plenty, plenty of other opportunities. Um, So if you'd like to wait and investigate and read the regulations till then, there will be many opportunities um, to comment. Okay. Seeing no comments, I'm going to bring it back to the commission for
9: discussion. Thank you.
1: Okay. Who would like to start?
15: So sure. just, just a question. So if, if I'm a landowner and um, a property um, and, and uh, one of these companies comes and expresses interest in my land, what is the first thing I should do? Like, should I, can I reach out to, um, to Sandy or, or somebody uh, there or what, 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 would, what would you guys recommend be the first thing that I, I should be aware of or that I should, first thing that I should
9: do?
10: Sandy Day Planning. Is this a question to staff or to...
15: Yeah, I think so, Sandy. Yeah.
10: Okay, sure. Yeah. Sandy Day Planning. So as a property owner, you have a couple of different choices. Um, Any property owner is always welcome to call and talk to planning staff, whether it's city staff or county staff. If you want to know if a use is permitted in the county or what the regulations are surrounding a particular use... Um, either that you're proposing or somebody is proposing on behalf of your property. So that's always an opportunity. Um, Many times staff will counsel a property owner to contact somebody to that. um, If if you're not comfortable negotiating on your own behalf to contact representation um, to represent you um, to get more information about something, uh, you as a property owner always have the right to say no or to say yes um, to a land use proposal. And then it, the next step then is is the is the proposed land use um, permitted or allowed by zoning? Does that help?
15: Yep. Thank you.
1: Okay. Does anybody have any general comments or questions? I've got a few detailed things, but yes, Commissioner Carter.
19: Thanks, this is a question for Sandy and Cece. Uh, We started getting into this uh, just a little bit during the mid-month at the very end, but I wonder if you could give us kind of a broad overview of your methodology of compiling um, these proposed regulations uh, or guidelines in terms of what general sources you consulted, to what extent you based it on your own experience or on regulations of surrounding counties.
10: I'm going to Sandy Day planning. I'm going to start, and then I'm going to ask CC to jump in because she's really shouldered um, the lion's share of of the research end of it. So we started with what does the existing regulations say today, and then also looked at what work was done with the solar regulations. So that gave us. Um, a kind of an outline format to really begin the work, and then there are pieces of solar that that really just kind of don't don't fit with the wind regulations, so we we didn't pursue those pieces of it. Um, county staff also was actively engaged in the research in in uh, pulling information from different counties. Uh, so we would regularly get uh, email exchanges with county that would have you know a dozen attachments to try to sift through. Thankfully, CC had um, actually already read a lot of that work, which was very good. And then we also started trying to dig into the specific pieces that uh, the county was concerned about. Um, there was also a field trip that staff took uh, I think Mary attended that county zoning staff I was not able to and I can't remember CC if you attended that one um, but but um, really to go out and talk with also some of our counterpoints and in, in other communities you know how they're working with some of that zoning regulation so I'm going to step back and let CC step up and dig into some of that research work that she did
11: Absolutely. In addition to speaking to county's uh, zoning code staff, it was also speaking with the county engineer and county legal and the county fire and medical on their best practices and what they see as most suitable. Um, In addition, I really sought out um, .gov or um, federally reviewed Studies and documents. The Department of Energy has a great deal of resources, um, specifically speaking to wind regulations, and um, a great deal of our definitions and terminology came directly from the Department of Energy's multitude of websites. The um, recommendations on height came from um, the different information we've spoke about thus far um, as far as balancing the characteristic of the land, looking at the manufacturer's specifications for what's currently on the site, as well as reading through a great deal of documents that the Department of Energy has put out about what they see as best practices. Um, There is a great deal of Um, personal anecdotal information online and we really strived to stay away from that as best we could and um, only use those um, peer-reviewed studies when applicable as well as looking at solars and looking at the previous regulations which use the same sort of data and information. So um,
10: in addition to the studies, we've also reached out to um, local and regional experts. So we were talking with um, state parks and recreation staff, NRCS, um, talking about some of the reclamation pieces. So that is where we dug into, dug into, um, looked at wh- how much of a foundation needs to be removed, um, what is industry standard, um, anyone who's looking to restore native grasses uh, to their uh, their farm properties. Um, something that I did not know before working with this, um, we learned that native grasses um, are really kind of amazing plants. Um, yes, they are deep-rooted plants, but they also um, thrive and are very successful in um, the Flint Hills and in some other areas where there's not a lot of soil depth um, so so that was um an interesting piece to look at um, another uh, local source that we talked with was the fire um chief for douglas county emergency um, so we've tried to also not not only with um with all of the studies that we look at, but also making sure that we're touching base with those local professionals that are going to know our region, our County as well. Um, We have another meeting set up later this week um, to talk with Evergy and it's uh, an attempt for staff to really get a better understanding um, about the energy network in the grid. So we will try to, put together something and whatever resources we get out of that, at least something we'll be uploading to the website if, if we can get a good resource or graphic. So that's the kind of work that we've been doing and we've been sharing that between city and county staff.
11: And that's in addition to speaking to other counties, planning and zoning staff and speaking to with them about how they came to their regulations, because all of the counties surrounding Douglas aside from Shawnee have regulations, whether that's on personal or small wax systems or commercial WECS. And then we viewed what they had in comparison to what we were proposing to make sure that there was a consistent and that we were using all of their best practices with our own. Okay, thank you very much.
1: Thank you. Um, if I may have a general process question, um, also, in terms of you made a point in the packet we had to distinguish between a text amendment and a conditional use permit. And I'm wondering if you could just speak to that, the process now where we'd have a text amendment, if there's still a, a conditional use permit within those regulations, can you um, talk about the, the types of issues that would be covered Within an individual project application that would come, at least the, the conditional use permit part of it. So we have all these regulations that we've got in the text amendment, but then in addition, we have the conditional use permit embedded in that.
10: Yeah. Sandy Day planning. Um, yes, I'm going to take a stab at trying to explain this. Um, so, what the, the action before you. That's, that you initiated in January that we are bringing forward is an amendment to the Douglas County Zoning Regulations. And within the Douglas County Zoning Regulations, there are a number of different processes, um, how different land uses are permitted. They are either permitted by right, or they are discretionary uses that are permitted through a conditional use permit. So to use the analogy of communication towers, um, that's a use that is permitted in Douglas County subject to a conditional use permit. So within the regulations in the chapter that deals with conditional use permits, there is a set of regulations that govern how we review it, what we review. Um, and then it directs um, that use that says it's permitted subject to a conditional use permit. So this same th- format or template applies. So what you're looking at in this text amendment is a use that would be a discretionary use that would be permitted in Douglas County. It's already that way today. If somebody wanted to come forward and say, I want to build a wind farm, they would look at the regulations and they would say, okay, I have these standards to follow. This is the application information I have to submit. I'm gonna submit it to staff. Staff will review it, prepare a staff report, get it scheduled on Planning Commission for a public hearing as a conditional use permit um, to go through that advisory process to make a recommendation to the governing body. Is this use appropriate for this location? That's the conditional use permit process. So we're not in our presentation, we said we're creating processes. Yes, we are creating processes. And really that's that's that clarification piece. So within the scope or the universe of a conditional use permit, you have all of the application documents that are required to be a complete application as a conditional use permit. You have all of the design standards. So um, when we look at a commercial building, you have the density and dimensional standards the setback the massing the height this is that same kind of thing but because this is a very particular use density and dimensional standards are different and so they they get folded into the regulations in these in these subsections of what this use is in the code and then we've also created those performance standards. And again, that's component, an evaluation component of the conditional use permit, is the project being um, constructed and managed and operated within the allowable parameters of what were set out in this text amendment or some other text amendment. Does that help explain it?
1: Yes, I just wanted to make that distinction that within these text amendments, that when these standards, we also have this this conditional use permit that can get very specific about a particular Absolutely. project and that for a particular site, and there could be additional features of that permit that, that are very specific.
10: Yes, Sandy Day planning. Yes, that's exactly the case. So while a text amendment talks about this particular use kind of globally, the conditional use permit brings it site specific.
1: Great, thank you. That's my general question. Mr. <laughs> Thomas?
9: <A laughs> clarification
20: perhaps. Um, I always ask for printouts of things rather than getting it off the computer. So I was given a 28 page, what I think uh, shows the, the meat of what the initial regulations are proposed. Is, is that what I was given for staff?
11: Correct. Yes, the revised regulations that we're proposing before you are 28 pages.
20: Okay, and that is someplace that everybody can see. This is a question that somebody can see and ferret out on the internet themselves.
11: Correct. Um, that website that we put on the slideshow in a few places um, is slash windregs W-I-N-D-R-E-G-S. If you've not had the opportunity to go to that site, I'd be happy to screen share and show it to you on that site. We have the existing regulations, the proposed regulations, as well as the recently adopted solar. We speak to a bit of the history of the regulations and why they're being revised, as well as um, that timeline that was at the very end of our presentation with all of our proposed next meeting dates. Those are also listed on the website.
16: Because I
20: think the, the people need, before they go to the meetings, need to see what the proposed regulations are. And I think that could take away some concerns that some people have, and it could heighten concerns that some people have about the regulations. So at, at some time, are we going to sit down and go over specifically the 28 pages, page by page, are we the planning commission? Are we going to do that?
9: And if so, when is the time we are going to do that? Sandy Day, planning.
10: Um, We will revisit the schedule and look at... If that is where the commission would like to do um, to go line by line, um, that that may work as a study session to be able to dedicate that time, that specific thing, uh, and get through that. We may need a little extra time. I don't know if in 90 minutes we can we could do all of it, or if if we try to schedule maybe do part of it at a Mid month part of it uh, in your January meeting, um, we can look at doing those kinds of things um, or doing a, you know, go through the application section, go through the performance standards, go through dedicated pieces of the regulation. If there are partic- particular things that the commission has identified at this point uh, in your preliminary review of the regulations, that you are looking for more context, more research or background. If you want to let staff know those things, we can start um, gathering that data and providing reports to you at, at upcoming planning commission meetings.
20: As I, I have gone through this, but I I know that eight or nine of us, 10 of us are probably smarter than just one me, but I'd like to have everybody have a chance to go through all these regulations line by line and, and look at them because uh, there are things that, one, I don't understand. Uh, there are things in there that I think are too vague. Um, I was very surprised when you said early on that there are some
9: words, will, shall, should, that are mandated, mandated by what?
11: Real fast, I'll speak to the proposed timeline. We have um, that public comment period in more of a formal sense, Sandy had spoken to it being similar to a comprehensive plan amendment or a I know whenever I worked with the MPO, we had a safe routes to school plan, and then there was a 60 day public comment period. And after that public comment period, it was never staff and whatever body reviewed the public comment as well as their own findings and reading the regulations. So it may be most appropriate, sort of after that public comments finalized, staff has been able to review all of the what we heard communications, which we've Um, We'll accept both via that email address that we've talked about a couple times as well as anything received via mail if people aren't interested in that web interaction. But sort of that public comment period is made for folks to have the opportunity to line by line to go through each piece to indicate whatever might be confusing or needs more clarity. And then we as a group can go through how we might change the regulations after that public comments period's done to address those
1: things. And Commissioner Thomas, we will have a, a mid month coming up for this, but in terms of your other question, the will, the shall, and the what, um, Jeff Crick has a comment about.
0: Almost all zoning codes will have what's called an introductory provision. which will talk about what words mean, how fractions work, how rounding goes through. And that's what Sandy and Cece were citing was the introductory portion of the County Zoning Code that talks about how it handles the language so it's not necessarily tied to the text, it's just tied to the overall code in itself. And shalls are typically read as a, I think you said a mandate statement. You, you shall do something in that sense. If there's some discretion in there, that will say may or have a different language to it. But that's all in the in introductory provisions for the zoning code itself.
20: I'm not sure I even understood that, but <laughs> there, I, I think when we say words like should, I would prefer to see a stronger word in there, must on some of these things, should is strongly suggest. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. But I think there are some in the proposed regulation that needs to be changed to much stronger wording. And I thought what Sandy was saying is, you can't change those. It is mandatory that it is left at
0: should or may. You, you can propose language that is stricter or more stronger. So if it does say should, you can recommend shall. Or if you think it's too strong, you can recommend should in those instances there. So that's part of that review that we're going to have to do and, and go through to see is, is that language dialed in correctly where the commission feels comfortable recommending it up to the county commission? So those can be adjusted and reviewed
1: commissioner thomas do you have a specific example that you want to suggest uh, a particular change in language to give
20: i i've actually turned in my 28 pages to sandy and Cece to say here here are things Mm -hmm. um and so i have i'll find one here i've circled them
11: and those pieces of the regulations um staff part of why the review of these regulations took as long as it did was because of those meetings between city and county staff going through each line so we had intention for the greater part of these regulations where there's shalls and where there's shoulds and had those discussions to really um, identify which form whether permissive or mandatory we wanted that's not to say all of staff's proposals are outright correct we are interested in that Communication, but I just want to let you know that there was intention with those sort of pieces okay. of language.
20: I I have no doubt that you guys have worked diligently to do this. None at all.
19: Sure. And if I could, uh, Commissioner Thomas, I think what's meant by the uh, mandatory versus permissive, I think that's the nature of the words themselves. That shall and must are mandatory words. They indicate a mandate, whereas should and may are more permissive. They, they, they include discretion. So it's not, if I understand correctly, it's not how the words are to be used. It's the nature of the words themselves. Am I correct?
20: I did not understand it to be like that. Uh, And if it is, that would help me somewhat. Uh, and I don't know that everybody has the same page numbers that I do, but on page 19 of the regulations uh, under point three, it says the project should be designed and configured to minimize impacts to the night sky for all lighting that is not required by FAA standards. That to me is fairly weak. Instead of it must be this way, Uh, it should be. Well, I should. I walked in with somebody today and they said they knew they didn't eat uh, the meals the best way they should. They knew they should be doing a better job, but that's different than. But will they? (laughs) Than a must. So there are just words and i'll say there are 50 of them that i have marked in here and made suggestions on things that um on the same page
11: things how do we measure some of these things and you'll often sorry you'll often see those permissive statements with words like minimize the more mandatory statements tend to go along with the measurable shall be uh, less than 50 decibels at a property line. Whereas in a space where it really takes the application coming before you, the visual impact analysis and whatnot being given to the governing body to make a decision in that space, are they minimizing to the greatest extent and then indicating to them we've put in the regulations, you should seek out as minimal of an impact as possible. It's hard to say shall with phrases like minimize, and it's hard to measure things like how much it affects the night sky, especially in a way that then the county can regulate. Sandy spoke to making sure that our regulations had a way to enforce each of these different factors. And once There's additional measurements given. We have to find a way to take that measurement.
9: And I think
20: my sense is that out in the unincorporated area where the towers would conceivably be, that that's what the people are looking for, though, are some hard data. How do you measure those things? Same page in no case shall blade glint adversely impact public health, safety, and welfare. How how do you measure that? What what are the measurable things? I think that's what people are looking for. And if we can't measure it, if those are impossible things to measure, then I, I think we've really left ourselves open to just a lot of issues that will arise if we don't have measurable data and yet we put down something that says, here's what we're going to do. I think that leads
9: people that talk with me to to feel pretty uncomfortable with some of the things. So
20: I am... I'm not sure how to strengthen all of the things. I can't tell you how to measure all of the things. And at the same time, I think we need to do that. So we are not, if, I know um, Mr. Anderson is here, and one of the companies you represent is Next Era, but to be fair to them, so we don't leave next era out hanging out there in the cold saying well gosh guys we're trying to do this but we don't have a measurable way so we can satisfy so i don't think it is it is fair to the companies that might want to come in here and have wind turbines so it isn't just for the the People, but it is for the company as well. I think these need to be strengthened, quantified, made measurable, if at all possible. And um, I have 28 pages of things that I've written.
1: Yeah, well, that's a, I think that's an excellent first step, Commissioner Thomas, is that just that, is sending that written document, of course to Sandy day. And then we, given those comments you've made, we have now have an opportunity to look at each of those instances where you're concerned and, and have a discussion about what exactly the wording should be.
20: And I would be more than happy. I couldn't run it off, but I'd be more than happy sure. to give everybody yeah, these 28 pages.
4: Yeah. So that I think you've done a great job of, of articulating the scope the magnitude the the and, and how important it is to get in some of the details and and uh, as an example in the solar regs um, this is the, the the very kinds of conversations we had on every single line and we questioned you know the intent of shoulds and shalls and made sure that that where discretion was warranted it was given and where it needed to be tighter it was not I, I think you're describing that I, I feel that same sense of responsibility to this work as well. I, I think you're, you're spot on, my friend.
1: Carpenter,
3: I don't know if those will help or make it even more confusing, but sometimes the proposed language has to say should, if there aren't other guiding portions of county code that give specifics. Your example of lighting is one of those because there is a reference in here to the lighting subchapter in the county zoning codes, which governs that. The county is looking at night sky regulations, but we don't have those yet. So what we have is when we do a text amendment, one of the things that the county attorneys are looking at and everyone else that's looking at it that staff and everybody is trying to compare notes between what we have code for and what we don't. So for lighting, we have code. So there's a there's a reference. And so should is we want it to comply as much. We want it to comply with our existing rule, work, but we're not tied to anything. And there's also the consideration, can we go beyond in for this specific use? Can we go beyond what's required in the rest of the code until we amend like the lighting subsection of the zoning regs. So shoulds and shalls give leeway both to the county and to the developers, push and pull. Those are things that we can address in conditional use permitting with specific rules to make recommendations on. We can also recommend um, amendments, other amendments to county code. If we think something in here isn't adequate, we can start the process to amend the greater code so that we don't have portions of the overall code that don't aren't in compliance with other the rest of our code, which is where the lawsuits happen. So it's it's just some consistency and there is flexibility built in. But your point is great about where do we not want flexibility and where should we leave some flexibility for what we do? And those are discussions we should have. Really, um, I'll go into those weeds every day. I mean, those are fun. What? But and in other things, you know, I'm I'm just hoping throughout the process, I'm I'm not quite sure how we reached the setback requirements. So as we go through the process, I'd be interested in public comment about that 1,500 yard setback. 1500 um, feet. 1500 feet. Is it enough? What is there a better number? Where did it where did we get the number from to start with the heights um, between 80 and 110 meters? Which, when you add blades, we're talking 442 feet to 574 foot tall structures. Do we want we don't know what the results. Uh, the recent conditional use permit that's for a tower to measure our winds. And what we've heard a lot of this is to give us that range for what our winds are here in Kansas. We're not sure, but it'd be useful to have some of that information before we set a maximum or recommend a maximum height limit. So I'm interested in hearing more about that. We're talking about shadow flicker. And we have in here no more than 30 hours per year of impact on a non-participating household. I'm not sure where that comes from. Um, But when we're measuring shadow flicker, I would like to explore the possibility of having shadow mapping done of each individual turbine. Uh, Those calculations are available like we know shadows are longest at sunrise and sunset and longer in the winter than they are in the summer oh. so and it's very predictable precise predictability except yes. for the terrain so we can we can I'm I'm interested in adding that so we can see what those impacts are and I'm also know from when we were doing the solar there is the ability to turn on and off particular turbines if they have an adverse impact on adjacent properties. So that could be something to look at in plans or bring up in a conditional use permit that that has to be looked at. So there are many things that I hope that everybody out there in the public, people with incredible information and backgrounds can give us some input on that. So when we reach the point of going through this carefully we can make our best recommendations recommendations possible to the county commission so thanks for bringing up the the linguistic part of this but because there's so much behind it
12: I do do think that, like, um, that's a good idea to have a a working meeting. I'm not sure that I'm, especially just based on this, that we can get it done in a 90 minute mid month, early in the morning or something. It seems to me like we should get something in that schedule where, after public comment, for sure, we can process it and then meet as a group to talk about it and hear everybody's thoughts and ideas on it and go line by line or topic by topic or. Definition by definition. So, I do think that having something in that schedule would would be um, helpful just so that we all know that that's the process we plan on engage, engaging.
20: Well, if it is next era, and it could be any number of other companies, but they have a, a right to know exactly what this is said. But so does everybody out there in the county. Every individual in the county has a right to know. Exactly what is in these regulations. So there isn't, so we don't run into all kinds of issues afterwards. Oh, well, I thought that meant, or oh, I thought, oh, no. So those are things I would like to to narrow down. And if there are reasons, my, my wife would certainly tell you that not everything I think is accurate. And not everything I think is true. I am saying what I think is right. I am saying what I think. I hear from people, uh, Mr. Metzger lives out in the unincorporated area, that I hear from people in the unincorporated area that are concerned that we
9: uh, may have regulations. Um, that are not concrete and precise in what they say. And they are concerned about um, the future. And I think we have that
20: obligation to go line by line through it as a body that we're going to recommend to the county commission. And I, or CeCe and Sandy, God love you. For for doing all you have done, and the zoning people, and the engineers, and 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 uh, I mean, so many people have put work into this. But ultimately, it's going to come down to a vote for us. What we're going to recommend to the three county commissioners, and um, we all wanted. We all wanted get the right thing done. We all want to get it as clear as we possibly can. And it's going to take more than 90 minutes.
1: So on on that topic, before we jump into anything that more specific um, questions we have, let me ask Jeff if there is do we need to take any action in regard to the meeting that's just been suggested at this point? Or is that something?
0: No. Oh, okay. We, we we've heard that loud and clear. We understand you guys want to do a line by line review. We'll take a look at the calendar and see where that such advice. Kind of thinking of something maybe along the lines of what we did with the comprehensive plan, where maybe you lose um, an entire day on a, on a Monday to get to that point. To just kind of use that Monday for that purpose, and then have Wednesday be your business meeting if the schedules will allow for that to occur. So, let us take a look at that and see if we can make sure that we can kind of keep that on track with the other application load that is coming in. Um, but it does seem to be very clear that it would like a a line by line review and we can definitely make that a combination.
6: Thank you. I do think that it would be helpful if it
12: was after at least some public comment has come in, because I know I certainly will be informed by what the public is saying and, and want to hear as much as possible before I sit down to just think through it with everybody here. If that's possible, does the
0: commission have a of an interest in making sure that the line by line review is after the public comment, or would you like it to be running during the public comment?
19: I'm thinking after. I mean,
12: honestly, like I want to be able to think about and incorporate and hear what everybody is is thinking and saying, so that I don't feel tied into something before I've heard a public comment. If that makes any sense, like
0: if 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 so if you wanted us to maintain the public input portion of this we would be probably looking at march maybe extending into april for that to occur at this point in time i just want to make sure the commission's comfortable with elongating the timeline in that respect
1: because the last if i if i i didn't remember the date but we do have a a potential date for the last public comment period before we take a vote i there was a date i think that was. I
20: think
0: it was march 20th maybe yes i think looks like the the tentative calendar is holding to be about february 5th is when we would expect that public comment to close then that would give us time to prepare for bringing it back to you in, in your march meeting to then initiate that line-by-line review at that point in time so if we want to use a use a monday for that purpose and then have a wednesday for the business meeting we can definitely accommodate that i think and just be aware that that may invert, you know, you have a, a Wednesday is a very long meeting, potentially depending upon what applications do come in, but not a, not a problem to make that adjustment.
12: And I don't want to usurp that. I mean, if other people would, would rather have the conversation line by line as public comments going in, coming in, that's fine. I just,
19: well, I think we can ask very specific questions about you know, figures in the regulations without the line by line review. I think the thing about the line by line review is it's when we're at a stage when we're fine tuning uh, and to do a line by line review followed by dramatic changes, we have to do it all over again, or at least portions of it all over again. So I think not necessarily after all public comment, but later rather than earlier, I think is a, there's a,
4: there's a big upload. To, to bring all twenty eight pages in with context and understanding, um, I found though that investing as much as we can, as early as we can, gives us an opportunity to hear public comments and and try to put that in place where it where it goes. Can understand that when we hear a concern, there might it might be addressed in some place, and we can provide that feedback back quickly. Again, it's a big upload. To do that, so I'm not saying that we should all get completely 100% versed before we listen, but at the very least, we ought to try to make this guy anyway is going to be working to make sure that I've got as as comprehensive an understanding as I can as early as I can. But
12: but you're not concerned about having the line by line early. You're not
4: line by line. No, 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 no. I I think that just are not have the understanding. I want to get the feedback and let that inform the edits. So I agree with you on that.
3: To me, I think what will be helpful is once we start getting that feedback, if it can kind of be in the document, like, here's what we heard about, what are we hearing the most about, what are the biggest concerns, and I think we, I think we're going to hear setbacks, height, shadows, flicker, I mean, we kind of know impact on birds, we're going to hear these things like it, so we're going to, we know kind of what we're going to get, But it'd be kind of nice just if we could kind of package these comments unless it's too difficult um, to let us know if we have other suggestions, other information coming in about particular topics that are in here, which will make it easier for us to to look at it because parts of this, we're going to get bogged down on inevitably, just like we did with the comp plan, just like we did with solar in our meetings. Mm-hmm. but, um, but every time we made an option, we got a red line back that here's mm-hmm. here's what was suggested by commissioners. Here's what we're hearing from else elsewhere, and that was incredibly helpful as we went forward because when we do get to our evaluation of this material, it's going to be open for public comment and we're going to get more feedback on wherever we are with the version and then it'll be at least one more meeting before we actually have a version to vote on so
0: and i i would envision something very similar to what we did with solar where you would see the, the red lines and the edits and have the the notations about what was going on i think that worked really well and i think that would be what we'd probably carry forward because i think you're used to it the public's used to seeing it in that way and also kind of it's an inline tracking of a document. So you don't have to then jump out to see something else you can then see. And I'll pick on the comp plan for that where you had to jump out to look at a comment to then come back into the document. I think the way we handled SOLAR was a great way to kind of process this going
14: forward.
16: And I, and I, and think, I think with s- all
3: the work that's gone into this and the fact that it's on the city website as, a, and it could almost be a working document there. No one can add to it, but staff can show maybe a little as we go. It's entirely public as we go, and it gives us something to discuss that'll be in our packets, whatever the version is when the packet comes out, something like that, so the public can see where the conversation is going also. That might be helpful.
1: Yes, and I believe CC is trying to jump in a little bit with a comment regarding that. I saw you taking your no. <laughs> look like
10: you were <laughs> uh, S- Sandy Day planning. And in CC, may uh, we we may be sharing a brain at, at the moment on this one. Um, again, this is this is one of those skill sets that uh, we are very fortunate to have with CC. Having worked uh, especially with MPO, so she has that experience and that skill set to take those those. Uh, narrative kind of comments that you expect to hear at a public meeting and be able to start to categorize those um, and that's where we'll you'll be seeing some other reporting information from staff the what we heard analysis will be okay you know at the meeting there was this number of people They were concerned you know the topics were uh we're concerned about a height or we're concerned about this particular piece and we can we can analyze that and we can bring that back to you um here's what the proposed text says here's what the public says here's the revised recommendation or here's what the regulations say here's what the public says planning commission where do you want to go with this information so we we will have that and we will be bringing that kind of information to you forward um as we have these public meetings is, Cece, is that where you were going with this
11: yes and that um that was absolutely a part of um staff's communication internally was our interest in both having the raw comments as they are both come to the commission as well as a summary Um, in the current timeline that we have proposed on the website and then on the presentation earlier um, the public comment period closes um currently proposed to be february 5th giving about 60 days i think it's 61 days and then that following February 20th, Planning Commission, we had proposed that at that meeting, staff brought forward the summary, giving us some time to really be thoughtful, create charts, create graphs, indicate where in the regulations we had the greatest number of comments. Um, I did the same work in Boone County, Missouri, whenever wind regulations were being drafted, went around the county to various community meetings, presented the wind regulations as they were written, and then uh, compiled all of that public input and made sure that the community really felt heard and that the commission was able to digest as best as possible how the community's recommendations fit into the regulations and then gave the commission a better sense of what the community wanted and where they wanted to see it. So that's absolutely a part of what staff's intending to do. And I'm excited to hear that you have interest in the same thing, because as you all have said, it's very important to make sure that the community feels heard in that way and that staff is giving you all the information that we're receiving, which can be a lot sometimes, but it's wonderful to have a engaged community.
15: How, how is the city planning on advertising or uh, soliciting public comment? How is, how are we getting the word out to, to everybody?
10: Dandy day planning. Um, we are working with the city's uh, media staff. So we've got the website. We will do kind of email blasts. Um, there's been a handful of people that have been in regular contact with us. Um, we have Uh, I will reach out to that same group as well um, to share that information that we're doing these meetings, and hopefully they will share that with with their neighborhood, uh, with their neighbors. Um, So through those social media pieces is predominantly how we're we're messaging these meetings.
0: We'll also work with county communication staff to put it through their channels that they have available, too. So we're going to take the luxury of using both the city's channels and the county's channels to broadcast this as wide as possible.
4: So are those just all the standard ways we've always done it? Um, Because I would argue that just based on results, our performance and drawing attendance to those meetings isn't great
0: you know there's far smarter people about social media than me uh and how those things work and and kind of go those things but you know we're going to try and get this out to as many people as we can as possible it's it's always hard in the winter months to do this because there's a lot of weather that gets in the way and there's a lot of activities that will get in the way with with people participating but hopefully we can find some ways they'll get it out to maybe broaden that as as much as we can but it's the the, the curse of of public participation is it's it's you can be available, but it's got to be reciprocated to have it kind of go its best form. Yeah. So,
1: there's also the hundreds and thousands of people who watch these meetings online. <laughs>
10: <laughs> <laughs> I, um, <It's> I, <laughs> I is Sandy Day planning. It just um, <laughs> Jeff's comment really kind of sparked my thought. While while our immediate contacts are with with. Um, city staff we have a very close working relationship with county staff so they are looped in they are also bringing their their contacts into all of this work as well so when I said our our city um, communication specialist that 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 is actually also including the counties so uh, that was something on my my side thank you
11: The county's website is also linked to our website, and we've um, had a really active effort. I recognize that everyone uses the internet the same way that I might, but really trying to have as much information as available at all times as possible has been one of our main efforts.
4: Just to tag on to, thank you, Cece, just to tag on to a point that Charlie made. I just didn't want it to get away. Um, It is critically important for industry to be involved in, in providing information um, I can't tell you how valuable that was in crafting the solar regs. It shaped so many things. It brought questions to mind, concerns to mind, solutions to mind that we couldn't possibly have gotten to without it. So please do stay engaged.
1: Yeah. Just to piggyback very briefly and do a couple of weedy things in terms of industry um, being there so we can ask particular questions. Um, So for an example, I had a question about shadow flicker and the shadow mapping that um, Commissioner Carpenter brought up, um, which gets to this 1500 feet setback. It's like just how flexible that is when we're talking about shadow flicker, knowing where the shadow falls. And I've also heard from just looking around um, at various industry presentations that they do have an ability to shut down on the turbines during problematic time periods. So my question would be, what is the flexibility the regulations could have where you're determining setbacks based on this 1500 feet, the shadow flicker, the ability of an in, the industry to shut that off. So my question to an industry representative was like, how easy is that to go ahead and shut these down? I've heard that it's not exactly plug and play, but how long would we allow them to mitigate that situation? You know, how much like they say, okay, we well, we can shut this down, but does, is it going to take them a year to shut it down? Is it going to take them five days to, sh- to figure out how to shut it down? Those sorts of things. I think they're, I'm, so I'm wondering for staff in terms of the flexibility of using that technology and then asking the industry, um, how they are able to do that and what their time frames are
4: quickly they can deploy
1: it. how quickly they can deploy it and how long the county is going to give them to deploy that um and the other uh question I have that might is sort of a technical issue in terms of noise is uh when talking about 50 decibels of noise is one thing but I'm also curious about the duration of that noise it's one thing to have your dishwasher going it's another thing when it's 24 7 365 days a year like, how is that factored into a noise regulation? So there's just a couple of details I've been thinking about. So anybody else thinking about any little any little details? But that might be for another meeting. Like oh, so, those are another yeah, meeting. Yeah, yeah, Those are another so meeting, but the just kind the kind of details that we... Just that. Details that we yeah. so, so just to whet everybody's appetite for those discussions.
4: It those lineups. Yes,
1: yeah. <laughs> will
15: we have uh, touch points like this going forward, like periodically, where the public can actually come and talk to us in a forum like this, or will will it be all at the end? I I, I feel like this is a good way for people to know what's going on, and I mean, is there going to be opportunities for?
0: It, lots of options that are available whatever the commission would like to do in those instances you know if we bring it back for a line-by-line review that would probably be the one touch point if you wanted to bring it back intermittently for updates we could definitely do that as part of your your business meeting so you could ask questions and that one i'd hate to have a mid-month on that one because it is a little yeah. bit of a morning time is a little hard to get people to want to come to that so we can schedule things in along the way if the commission would like to that one it may not be more than very simple update, because we may not have a lot to produce or, or reply to yet, depending upon where we're at in the timeline. But just to just to have that sequence be available is fine.
1: And as I read the timeline, we're, we're it's actually the uh, draft amendments um, staff is bringing to the Planning Commission. Was it two more times that the, we receive?
0: Yes, I we were times that
1: we have a forum like this.
15: That's perfect. I mean, yeah. I think that's perfect.
0: So yeah, we were expecting to bring it back at your January 23rd yeah. meeting and also at your February 20th meeting for updates yeah. and reviews on that one.
15: That's I think that sounds good.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah. Any further comments for now? We'll have plenty
4: coming up from the commission. I just have to Remember? say this out loud. Because I'm mm-hmm. thinking it. I just have some sorry. So just as a practical matter, I'm, I'm sitting here imagining um, the uh, the Monday where we carve out the evening to do a line by line and, you know, 10 people plus the number of folks from the community and have dialed in on Zoom um, are debating whether or not it should be should or shall. Um, I just wonder if we're going to get past the first paragraph on the first page, um, if we're really going to get into what those words should be, that process would, gosh, there'd have to be... A, I'm not, I'm not even sure how we would do that, that level of detail. So what I'm wondering is if we should adopt an approach like we did with solar, where we ask for people on the commission to do that first run at that review and then bring that back to the commission for review to bring up basically a summary of that back. And offer that
9: idea. Well, just some thoughts on when we did
1: that for the solar, um, we had a working group for the solar. We brought it back to the commission. We did not do a line-by-line hmm. with all the commissioners and I, for the solar.
20: When I say line-by-line, so, line, uh, I, I don't want to interrupt. I, I mean, we just need, maybe I should have said page-by-page, page just to go, to go through to make sure we are just looking at things Uh, So, I I mean, just, I I went through and read everything and made all my comments or made lots of comments and I've written down others, but at some time, that's what I want us to do, where we talk as we go through it and say, oh, gosh, that makes sense, or this doesn't. And if it is four people or eight people, whatever it is, but at some time, we owe this We owe everything that we can do to the people out there to make sure that we have, that I need to make sure that I am doing what is right for the people that are here, that are online, that have called me uh, to to say, we are really looking at this because this is important. This is an important thing for you guys.
9: I live in the country and I can have a a turban by our place. So be it. But we need to go through the regulations to make sure that they
20: say what we want them to say.
12: Yeah. I'm not opposed to dividing up into a smaller group of four and having them look at it. It does sound like though... I can't believe I'm going to say this, but there, there might be a fight to, between us. And who gets to be those four? Cause we're all, it sounds like everybody has some wants to weigh in. Yeah. Um, so, I don't know if it's possible, but like um, I'm new, but are there working retreats. I mean, obviously be open to the public, but we had an orientation where we were all together in one room learning about stuff. And so it seems to me like that kind of thing is what we're talking about here. Not necessarily sitting here Mm -hmm. and people watching us go through line by line, but us just doing a working thing that people are welcome to participate in. And then whatever generates out of that, perhaps we have an open more, I mean, a, physical um
0: open i like that too just thought given given some of the the logistics of that i'd almost recommend you'd want to use your monday meeting for that instead of having a separate item because it would not have the room or the ability to do a lot of the configurations required under the bylaws to let you hold the meetings in the way that we do so we're probably better situated to have it on the mondays and those processes for that kind of an instance but Just a a logistics item to take into consideration. I would just note.
4: Could it be the same kind of a format as we do with mid month? Just instead of ninety minutes, it's nine hours.
0: Uh, Yeah, I think, uh, you know, you're, you can run your business meetings in that very similar format. We did it with the comprehensive plan when we were doing its review was, you know, your entire Monday was five hours of going through whatever we were putting on the plate every month as part of that. So I would say is that's probably a good format to do it because you would have the technology in the room, right? You would have a set meeting, people would know what's going on, and they could come and give public comment. And we have that, that mechanisms and space to take care of that here. So.
12: Do I hear you saying that we need to have it here in this room? Or or that we can have it where we have like where we held the retreat. I'm just wondering because honestly, this is very cumbersome for me <laughs> as like a working, I, I'm tactile, I'm a lead like I want to circle, I want to highlight, I want to talk to people. And this it- isn't my work type space. So I'm just curious.
0: There's a lot more logistics that would go into using the Astro room versus using this room that we'd have to take into account and probably, you know, staffing and other controls that we'd have to get in place to meet the open meetings act requirement. This room just lends itself to that a little easier. So it makes it a little quicker for us to move around on that one. But so we can also fold the monitors down maybe if that would help out or something. So
12: it's all the way over there, <laughs>
1: uh, but okay. Thank you. I'm sure. When I've seen big tables in the middle before, yeah. so if you need, I'm sure you do. horrible that. Yeah. for mm-hmm.
0: recording us. For yeah, uh, yeah. That would that would, does the requirement for Zoom does pose some limitations on how we can arrange the tables as we may have uh, previously done. But we can always explore options if we need to. Okay.
1: So it sounds like there's some options with Monday meetings.
3: Well, I, I, so we, I like the idea this. of. I mean, uh, we've used Monday nights as mid-months during yeah. the pandemic. I mean, right. We've done all of these Mm -hmm. options before. Mm -hmm. I think if if the idea is we want the whole group to go through this, let's do it on a Monday and trust that you're going to adjust the schedule for that month. So if we have to do anything on a Monday night, it's going to be variances or something.
16: Yeah, yeah.
3: (laughs)
0: Something we can go through. Quickly and then save the rest for the Wednesday. We, we got a tried and true method. <laughs> plan. We'll we'll dust that off and bring it back out again. So. Great. <laughs>
3: right. That might be good for like February or something after we have some comments, and, and that still keeps us within the timeline that's been set, which right. I think
16: is good.
0: Mm-hmm. And we'll do our best to honor the timeline as much as we can with with kind of expanding that out.
1: Checking line. It is. Commissioner Munch, did you have, um, I've, I haven't been watching the screen, so, okay. Oh, he's, right. that's right, he Sorry. recused himself. I forgot all about that. <laughs> so, any comments for the good of the whole? for the comments much it okay so we have no action to take on this issue because we have no application before us um, so we sim- we simply received the status update on the pending wind energy conversion systems in Douglas county so please take note and that website one more time cc
11: www.laurensks.org slash windregs, so W-I-N-D-R-E-G-S. It can also be found on the main city website within community engagement. So where you might take a survey on a proposed plan or an area plan, there'll be a little bubble for the WEX, Wind Energy Conversion System Regulations.
1: Thank you. Um, So now we have no, we have no consideration of other business that's come up unless something's come up in the meantime, while we've been sitting here so no old business. Um, So do I have a motion to recess. So moved. Do I have a second. Second. Seconded. Can you call the vote, Jeff,
0: please. Commissioner Ashworth. Yes. Commissioner Carpenter. Yes. Commissioner Carter. Yes. Commissioner Duvar. Yes. Commissioner Hayden. Yes. Commissioner Munch. Yes. Commissioner Rexroad. Yes. Commissioner Thomas. Yes, motion passes 8 to 0.
1: Thank you all. Thank you Sandy and Cece again. Um thanks for those that came tonight to speak and we look forward to seeing you again.
9: I mean